Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus to Canton. Go ahead and follow Campus to Canton on the Twitter at Campus, the number two, Canton. And you can follow myself, Scott Bogman, at Bogman Sports. I'm the host of this show. The owner of CFB Winning Edge always is joining us at CFB Winning Edge. Nicholas Ian Allen is here. Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. On the Twitter machine, he's going to be a moving man pretty soon, uh, packing stuff up, getting ready to go. And we are looking at the ACC, one of the conferences that is not packing up and ready to go. It looks like maybe the Pac-12, after we did the, the show last week, is packing up and ready to go. But we are here to talk about the ACC. We're going to give you our 2023 breakdown on these teams. And let's just kick it off. Got 14 teams to, to do. We're going to start at number 86, Georgia Tech, who finished 5-7 and seven last season. Four and a half is the DK win total. Uh, we have them. Um, we have them just slightly over that, uh, over the four and a half at five and seven. By, by, again, by one percent, by, by one one hundredth of a percent. Yeah, four point five one win total project, uh, win total projection on our system here. Uh, Nick, for Georgia Tech, Brent Key is technically a first-year head coach, but as an interim head coach last year, he sparked the Yellow Jackets to a better record than expected. Do you think that can carry over to 2023? And is all of your excitement from a couple years ago about Georgia Tech dead (laughs) in the water now? So I gave up on that particular uh, bit of excitement a a while ago. I was hoodwinked, bamboozled, uh, like some others with uh, Jeff Collins. Uh, but I, I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Brent Key because, you know, he just <laughs> basically, it sounded like, uh, put his head down, went to work, and, and got the team better because they played better under Brent Key than they ever had under Jeff Collins. Um, I'm fairly optimistic. Uh, Georgia Tech does not, I mean, obviously they're our lowest ranked uh, team in our our team strength power rankings. Um, the roster strength numbers are not fantastic. They are mediocre at best, 71st overall, uh, 75th on the offensive side of the ball, 60th on defense. So they're you know roughly FBS average, maybe a, a little bit lower than that. Um, but I do think that we saw, even though the, the team performance numbers were not great, you know, on, on, Overall team performance, they were 103rd last year. On the offensive side of the ball, they were 116th. The passing game really, really struggled. They were 127th in uh, passing team performance on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side, they really, really struggled against the run. Did have, you know, did rank 31st in uh, pass defensive team performance, uh, but were 107th against the run. So certainly not a, you know, perfect team ranked or or graded out as uh, one of the bottom teams in the country. Nevertheless, they found a way to win five games. And I do attribute, uh, you know, certainly some of that to Brent Key. Uh, This was a team that beat Pitt, beat Duke. (laughs) I mean, two uh, quality teams who went to bowl games. Duke won nine games last year. Um, And, uh, you know, they, they uh, were able to take care of business against Virginia Tech in the down year and then beat North Carolina, who went to the ACC championship game. So um, this was a competitive team, more competitive than 
just about anybody expected. Um, of course, they did lose to Virginia, you know, gave up 16 points in that game and, and found a way to lose with a 2.8% uh, postgame win expectancy number. Um, uh, but but still, you know, this, this team, I felt like it was one of those situations where sometimes you get a, a bit of a bounce immediately after a coach is fired and a new guy comes in. It's a new voice kind of helps to light a fire or whatever, you know, a buzzword or, or term you want to use. That seemed to happen, but it, it sounds like, at least in some of the, you know, early fall camp reports, that that's kind of continuing, that Brent Key does seem to have, uh, you know, a little bit more of a motivational whatever behind him. Um, we'll see if they're able, you know, actually able to carry that over onto the field again, but it would not surprise me at all if, if the coaching staff now is a little bit better at developing players. Um, they did hit the transfer portal pretty hard and would expect that um, quite a few players, including potentially quarterback Haynes King, who is the starter at the beginning of the year at Texas A&M last year, um, not officially named the starter. He's competing with Zach Pyron and Zach Gibson uh, for that job, but I would give the slight edge to King, uh, basically a brand new group of receivers that he's going to be working with, other than Malik Rutherford, who is back after playing uh, about a quarter of snaps last year, but Christian Leary, the transfer from Alabama, Chase Lane from Texas A&M, uh, Abdul Jana uh, from the FCS level, Dukin, Dominic Blaylock at Georgia, um, also brought in a tight end transfer from Georgia uh, in, in Brent Feather. So there's an interesting mix of new players, pretty, you know, highly ranked guys like Kings and Leary, uh, specifically productive guys, uh, like Jana also brought in Trey Cooley is the running back from uh, Louisville to compete for carries with Dante Smith. I think the offense is going to take a step forward. Um, I think there's the chance that they take, you know, a, a, a 20 or 30 or 40 spot step forward. Um, if King establishes himself as the quarterback, uh, utilizes his athletic ability, um, and then if the defense, you know, continues to play at about an FBS average uh, level, they were 62nd in overall defensive team performance last year, and then improves, you know, stopping the run, then, yeah, I think that this team uh, will be as competitive as they were last year. Uh, this is one of those projections where we're at 4.51, literally, on the team that's, you know, 4.5 on DraftKings. Uh, so it could go. Either way, I'm going to be a little bit annoyed if they end up four and eight instead of five and seven. <laughs> but um, I, I do think that if this team gets a couple of breaks, um, there are certainly five winnable games on the schedule. It's going to be tough to get to number six in bowl eligibility. But um, I think, you know, regardless whether this team takes a step back in the win column or not, certainly, you know, a possibility. Uh, I do think that they will continue to be very competitive and will be capable of beating, you know, some of the the higher tier teams in the league like they did last year when they beat Pitt and Duke in North Carolina. Xavier, what do you think about uh, Georgia Tech for this year? Are, are you thinking you're going to see an improvement? Is this going to be the same old Georgia Tech we're going to get? Um, do you think they have any chance to beat this four and a half win total? Yeah, I think, well, first and foremost, I'm excited to kind of see Haynes King under, you know, a different uh, microscope. 
I think he walked into, I don't want to call it a dumpster fire to an extent at, at Texas A&M, but at least, you know, I thought he walked into one of the, the worst situations for a young quarterback in college football. Uh, essentially, it just asked, you know, uh, just, you know, kind of play with like a, you know, chicken with his head cut off game after game and try to make things happen kind of off the cuff. Um, I, I didn't feel like he had much ability to kind of just, you know, grow and progress in that offense. Um, it was kind of just like, we got to win games. So however way you can do it, do it. Um, I will say I was impressed by the amount of transfers that Georgia Tech brought in on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, this is something that they have not done over the last couple of years, in my opinion, uh, to great effectiveness. Um, you know, and, and I think that realistically we needed to see this shift uh, where they were finally going to say, you know what, we've had some decent recruiting classes, but we need that extra oomph in the transfer portal um, to really help this 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 shift in our offensive identity. Um, so bringing in, you know, four starting, ca- you know, four re- receivers, bringing in a running back, obviously bringing in Haynes King on the offensive side of the ball, bringing in t- two tight ends um, as well. I think it was important for them to do this just genuinely because of the fact that they needed that level of talent boost, um, you know, in their uh, receiver ranks in particular, especially, like I said, with the shift in the offense that they've had over the last couple of years. And look, they went out and got proven former guys, right? All these guys are coming in with, you know, one or two years left of eligibility with playing time um, with, with at least some playing time underneath their belts. And I think that's extremely, that's, that's huge uh, to get that. Uh, the same thing goes uh, for their defensive side of the ball. You look at some of the guys they brought in their linebacker. I mean, their entire linebacker room, for the most part, is transfers at this point, right? But you're looking at guys, once again, you know, who have had, you know, at least 25% plus of the snaps of the, from the schools that they're leaving. And I think that's important. Once again, you need – when you have shifts like this, when you're having, you know, shifts, you know, like this, that you need to <clears throat> to bring in guys who've had – uh, you know, proven pedigrees and, and, and former spots, whether that even be the G5 or the lower P5 or just in the P5 level as a whole uh, to really bolster your ranks. And so I like what they did there. Uh, their schedule for me, I think, fits out pretty well um, in some respects. Uh, obviously, you get South Carolina State early. Uh, obviously, you start ACC play kind of right away um, playing in Atlanta. Uh, so you're right in your backyard, typically, as they do this time against Louisville, who's going through their own kind of changes in their own right. Um, you know, Bowling Green, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, Miami. It's a, you know it's it's kind of a I think it's a very toss up style to start their year off. Uh, this team could very well be three and two after uh, or three and three after that first six. Could be four and two. Could be two and four. I wouldn't be surprised by um, much of it, uh, any of it to be perfectly honest with you. The back half of their schedule is a little bit more daunting um, as they have to see North Carolina, as they have to see Clemson, as they have to uh, see Georgia. So more daunting on the back half of the schedule. So really need to hit the ground kind of running in that first six games. I don't see why they can't. Um, I, I think this is a team that will probably stagnate at around five wins. I would like to take the over here. I don't think that they're bowl eligible or they're going to be bowl eligible just yet. Uh, but once again, I love the transfers that they brought in. I think they bolstered their ranks in the right ways. Um, you know, and I think they're ready to kind of try to get themselves kind of back to relevancy. Um, it's been a while since, since Georgia Tech was able to do that. But last year had some had some – has some positive signs going four and four in the ACC as a whole, um, being one game away from a bowl eligibility. I think they re- I think they do that a- again. Um, I'm excited to see what Haynes King does because he has three years of eligibility. So if he has a really good first year, this could be a guy who, uh, you know, really helps them kind of progress into that next uh, era or generation of Georgia Tech football for sure. All right, let's go up to 82 Boston College 
uh, season three and nine. Uh, DK expects an improvement. Five and a half is their win total. Uh, we have them just slightly over that five and a half. Uh, for Boston College, Nick BC has one of the weakest schedules among Power 5 opponents, but with an offensive struggle as much as the Eagles did last year, can they take advantage, especially with their best player, gone to the NFL in save flowers? Well, on, on that note, I think if uh, you're trying to replace Zay Flowers, they found the closest they possibly could to a Zay Flowers clone in uh, Ryan O'Keefe, the transfer from UCF. I would expect that they may try to do the very same types of things uh, that they did with Bay Flowers. Now, does O'Keefe have high-end NFL draft potential like Flowers did? I'm not so sure, but I do think that he's uh, a dynamic playmaker, and uh, they, like I said, found about as close as they possibly could from a, a skill set perspective uh, via the transfer portal. So I think there'll be a little bit uh, you know, fairly smooth transition there. Uh, but Boston College, as good as Day Flowers was, was so bad offensively last season. Um, they ranked 124th in team performance on the offensive side of the ball. They were 100 and, well, it says 133rd here, but uh, dead last in uh, the FBF level in our team performance numbers uh, running the football last year. A big, big piece of that was uh, the offensive line, which graded out as the very worst in our O-line performance ratings. Um, it was a completely inexperienced group, especially after Christian Mahogany went down with a season-ending injury. Mahogany is a all-conference, maybe even all-American caliber player. Uh, he is now back and in the starting lineup. Four starters, really five starters, from uh, last year's unit return, plus Mahogany, plus they brought in two uh, transfers who are experienced and expect to uh, slot in on the left side, potentially, of the offensive line. So, uh, you know, on paper, it looks like a, a much, much better unit. We'll see if they actually play better and, and uh, you know, grade out better uh, significantly than they did last year. But that's, that's where it starts, because in addition to O'Keefe, um, there's some talent, I think, at the skill positions for Boston College. Uh, Joseph Griffin Jr., Jaden Williams, there's a true freshman who apparently is making some waves in fall camp in Jaden Skatee. Um, Pat Garwo third has been an all-conference caliber running back in the past. Uh, they bring in Kyle Robichaux from uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, both of those guys can uh, catch the ball out of the backfield. And there's kind of an interesting quarterback battle going on. Uh, Emmett Moorhead really had a strong end to the season, a couple of big uh, passing performances. They add Thomas Castellanos, a transfer from UCF, who is uh, known much more for his running ability. Sounds like both are getting some reps with the first-team offense in fall camp. Uh, Moorhead seemingly has a, an edge to start, but because Castellanos is at least got the potential to make an impact on the ground. I would not be surprised if both end up uh, playing and, and, you know, certainly have some packages for Castellanos. Uh, the defense was not, not bad. I mean, they were roughly FBS average 65th in uh, defensive team performance. Uh, they did struggle more against the run than the pass uh, though this year, 
in the secondary, it's got a lot of new faces. Only Elijah Jones is a, a returning starter. They do bring back Shittah Silah, an uh, edge rusher who uh, was severely limited by injury last season. Uh, they also bring back Donovan uh, Ezeroku, the uh, defensive end. So, uh, you know, that with both of their starting linebackers, I think that BC's got a chance to be, uh, you know, better than average up front. And we'll just sort of have to see if they're able to replenish, you know, that secondary with the transfers that they've got coming in, uh, all of whom could potentially factor in uh, as starters. Kari Johnson, Alex Washington, Victor Nelson are all experienced players, have starting experience coming in. Um, but, you know, how do they how do they fit in? Because uh, this team, you know, a few years ago was uh, really, 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 really struggled defensively. In 2020, they were in the triple digits in defensive team performance. They, they've been an average unit the last couple of years. It really would be, uh, you know, beneficial, would, would certainly be uh, the preference, I'm sure, for BC to take another step forward and – you know, potentially if they were able to lean on that defense, let the offense kind of come along a little bit with the, uh, you know, with, with Moorhead as he continues to develop into a starter, or if Castellanos is able to wrestle that job away. Um, and especially as they uh, work to, you know, uh, play better on, on the offensive line, it, it sure would be nice if Jeff Hapley, who is, you know, a defensive uh, minded head coach did did some really good things when he was at Ohio State prior to coming to BC. Um, I, I think there's the potential there. They've got two games starting out where uh, they are favored. Uh, you know, week one against Northern Illinois, week two against Holy Cross. Holy Cross was a very very good FCS opponent last year, um, or very very you know, FCS team last year. We're probably overrating. Uh, or, or, you know, have a, a little bit too big of a projected point spread there in that game. I think that's going to be a little tougher of a matchup than you might expect. Um, but BC should win both of those games, figure out the quarterback situation, figure out a few other things on both sides of the ball, and then have an opportunity, you know, at home hosting Florida State in week three, where they will be, you know, a two touchdown or more underdog. But, um that's, that's going to be an interesting opportunity. And if Boston College, uh, you know, plays well in that game, if they, if they get the wins over Northern Illinois and Holy Cross, there's the potential. I mean, <laughs> there's the potential. We could be talking like a 7-1, and 8-1 start if everything goes well. Um, there are a lot of winnable games on the schedule. Louisville, Virginia, Army bye week, Georgia Tech, UConn, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. I mean, BC is going to be favored more often than not. And our projection at, at 5.76, that, you know, that, that in all honesty, seems like it might be a touch low. I know we're just barely over the 5-5, five and five, but the schedule, the way it sets up, if they answer a few of those personnel questions that they've got, uh, this Boston College team could could put up a sneaky good record. Seven wins, eight wins is not out of the realm of possibility. Now, 
they may be scratching and clawing and fighting to try to get that sixth win. There certainly are losable games against Louisville, Virginia, Georgia Tech, UConn, Syracuse. I mean, you know, they could definitely uh, drop uh, more than a few of those. Um, but those are going to be competitive games that BC can win also. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. But I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic uh, when it comes to Boston College. I think that's over five and a half looks pretty good to me. Xavier, where are you? Are you as optimistic as Nick is on Boston College, or do you think eh, probably under 500 is about right for them? Yeah, I still think under 500 is right around, you know, right around what I would feel comfortable with for them. Um, the offensive line has to show me growth this season, for sure. Um, I feel like for over the last couple of years, they have been – the offensive line that I'm used to Boston College having just has not, you know, been replicated over the last couple of seasons. Um uh, you know, hence the reason why they brought in a starting left and right guard uh, through the transfer portal. Um, but I, I do think, you know, to what Nick was saying, their their schedule does lend themselves to starting fairly well. Now, I do think they're going to get stomped into the ground by Florida State in week three. But outside of that, you really see toss-up games everywhere, um, you know, up until realistically we have to kind of see that their schedule and Nick – tell me if I'm crazy or not. I really feel like their schedule lends itself to they'll be as good as the rest of the ACC shows itself to be. Like, when I look at their schedule, I go, as of right now, you're absolutely right. They could be 7-1 going into that week against Syracuse or 6-2. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I look at their schedule and go, they could all lose, lose that next four or they're going to be a sleeper team that somehow finds its way right on the doorstep of the ACC title game. Like, Mm-hmm. I expect Virginia Tech to be better. I expect Pitt to be better in some respects. I expect Miami to, to find itself a little bit. But I also could be – I also, if you wanted to convince me that none of those teams figure it out and Boston College just so happens to find its way sitting there at 10-2, and two, I wouldn't be surprised either. I, I think that's what I see so much from this schedule because of how, you know, the, 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 the soft, you know, the soft uh, takeoff with Northern Illinois and Holy Cross. You get the Florida State matchup and Florida State and Louisville back to back, but after that, I'm like, what game am I sending there saying Boston College just like has no chance whatsoever? Like, I just don't see. A, I see a path where you know I don't want to get Boston College fans like too excited. Where you know this should probably be a seven win ball club. You know. <laughs> so I just I had a weird thought maybe. I could see Boston College losing to Northern Illinois. Yes. And still starting like seven and two. Yes. Sure. <laughs> I think it's just a weird yeah. – anything could happen here. I, I think – so, I, 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 once again, I, I guess I'm going to be the over guy today. I'm going over that DK win total. Um, that, that five and a half, I think, is, is – I think they're a bowl team this year with their schedule, with the transfers that they brought in. Uh, they've almost completely revamped their back – you know, the, the defensive back room. Uh, the defensive line has a stud in it. You know, uh, their linebacker room is senior-laden now. Um, so – Let's see if my old adage is correct or if it's incorrect. Um, and then offensively, like I said, that offensive line, if they are able to turn a corner for the first time in a couple of years, you know, and they can keep more head upright, something they, they struggled with with Jerkovic back there. You're looking at a team that can find its way into a seven, eight win year. All right. I mean, we'll see for Boston College. Seems like they're kind of on the borderline here. Uh, in terms of what we expect, it could be all over the place. Let's go to Virginia. 
uh, last season, three and seven, three and a half is the DK win total. Um, we have them pretty much over that. And Nick, Virginia has the lowest win total, according to DraftKings, but we have the Cavs ranked higher than both GT and Boston College. Why is that? I I don't know exactly. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a uh, an odd scenario. Virginia on the football field didn't uh, didn't really give us very many positives. Um, last year under Tony Elliott, the offense uh, cratered basically. Uh, they finished 108th in team performance overall. Uh, or excuse me, on, on the offensive side of the ball, 117th passing, 83rd rushing, and they just took a, a, a big, big step back. Looked like a completely different unit from what was so fun, you know, prior to that in the Brock and Mendenhall, Bronco Mendenhall, and and uh, um, Robert and I uh, <clears throat> days on offense, and you know, Brennan Armstrong just looked like a completely different quarterback. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, tragically, the, the way the season ended uh, for Virginia uh, is just, you know, something that, that is impossible to uh, was impossible to, to fathom. But if, you know, I'm trying to, to think about reasons to be optimistic on the football field, uh, comparing them to Georgia Tech and Boston College specifically, Sounds like Virginia knows what it's got at the quarterback position. Uh, Armstrong transferred, and, you know, that, that's certainly a loss uh, when you look at his uh, total body of work. Last year wasn't all that impressive, obviously, but um, they bring in Tony Musket, transferred from the FCS level at Monmouth, uh, started 23 games in his career, hasn't put up huge numbers, but it sounds like has come in and solidified uh, his role in the offense. Um they brought back their primary, uh, really their top two running backs in uh, Paris Jones and uh, Mike Hollins, who uh, is, is just a, a, an incredibly uh, inspirational story himself. Um, and then they added to that group Kobe Pace, who I've been hearing uh, a lot of just really, really positive comments about Pace from Tony Elliott. They, of course, uh, had a relationship uh, from their days at Clemson. Um, Pace is, I think, geared to be uh, a little bit of a workhorse, potentially, in that running back group. Um, Paris Jones, you know, played defense prior to last year and, and uh, just sort of became the, the most trusted guy. Um, they're dealing with an injury to Xavier Brown, who showed uh, some real promise as a true freshman last year. He's going to miss, I think, at least a month. Um, so Kobe Pace, I think, is, is set up in a somewhat unique position, a little bit different maybe than both Boston College and Georgia Tech, where they kind of know what they have at running back as well. Um, the receiver group, I mean, Malik Washington, Derek Sterling, Malachi Fields, those guys uh, are, are probably um, you know going to be the, the starters. I've heard some good things about Jaden Gibson, the true freshman, but far, you know, certainly less proven probably than, than both BC and, and Georgia Tech. Uh, but elsewhere, you know, I, I think there's there's fairly, fairly positive uh, feelings. Even the offensive line, which was, I think, the only uh, unit in the country that maybe was less experienced than Boston College coming into last year. This year, uh, they, are, they are much, much 
uh, less experienced than BC, only one full-time returning starter. Um, but this unit actually, you know, played above expectations last year, even if the, the offense itself really, really struggled. Defensively, pretty good team last year. Uh, top 40 in team performance on the defensive side of the ball overall. Top 30, both offense and defense. Um, return a lot up front. Uh, all four full-time starters on the defensive line are back. Uh, get a starter at linebacker, three starters at safety. Um, are missing a couple of their best players transferred out. Uh, but, uh, you know, supplemented uh, through the transfer portal, a guy like Malcolm Green, who uh, had some starting experience at Clemson, uh, Tavon Kyle stepping in, an experienced player. Um, those two right now, along with Sam Westfall, another transfer, uh, seem to be the, the primary corner. So if they get that position figured out, the rest of the defense, you know, on paper, uh, looks looks pretty good. Uh, the defensive line specifically, I think, um, has the potential to be a, a pretty strong unit. They rank 27th in position strength. Uh, it's their best graded unit as far as our talent numbers go. Um, so, you know, there there are a few more personnel situations where we know the answers compared to the other two teams. Um, the schedule at least compared to Boston College, is a little bit tougher. I mean, starting off with Tennessee, uh, you're going to find out real quick uh, whether or not that defense is, you know, anywhere close to as good as they were. Uh, and then James Madison, who is certainly no slouch, uh, looked really, really good at times last year. Um, that is that is not necessarily a slam dunk win. Uh, and then the trip to Maryland. I mean, non-conference is, is uh, tough uh, for Virginia, even that William and Mary game. Uh, in the middle of the season, you know, William and Mary is a top 10 FCS team. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential stumbling blocks, but uh, this team kind of similar to Georgia Tech and similar to Boston College, I don't think is going to get blown out very often. I think they're going to be in a lot of games. And if, you know, the, the situation they've got on the offensive side of the ball, if they can really lean on, you know, Tony Musket is an experienced quarterback, um, you know, maybe do a little bit better job tailoring the offense to his skill set than they did Brennan Armstrong last year. If Kobe Pace truly does kind of blossom into, uh, you know, one of the better running backs in the ACC, which I do think is possible, um, then Virginia is going to have a chance to win some close games in the fourth quarter. And our projections are probably uh, a little – little too optimistic potentially i mean us being you know one and a half wins above the the win total from DraftKings uh, uh makes me feel like we're a little bit out on a limb um but i do think that similar to what i said about bc and georgia tech i mean uh, those are those are beatable opponents they're both on the schedule right uh nc state are they Anything super special? I mean, you know, Virginia, I think, is is going to have an opportunity uh, in a lot of games. And even though the non-conference is tough, they don't play Florida State. They don't play Clemson. Uh, they do play North Carolina, but get uh, a bye week ahead of that. So, you know, the schedule sets up okay for them to be competitive. It's just going to be a matter of uh, will the defense sort of maintain the good numbers that they put up last year and uh, will we see 
uh, a step forward offensively because, you know, last year they, they struggled so much. Xavier, you know, Nick's right, obviously, last year ended terribly for Virginia. Sure. But, uh, you know, we're looking on the positive side. We like them. Uh, are, what are your thoughts on, on Virginia? Are, are you, uh, you know, positive on them? You think they can finish better than at least these bottom feeders in the ATC? Yeah, if their defense shows up like it did last year, I don't see why not. Uh, you know, the defense was yeah, it was excellent. I mean, yeah, you can talk about the rest of the, the – maybe the ATC wasn't as talented, yada, yada, blase, blase, blase. But their defense, in my opinion, played up in every game but three, right? And yeah, that's Pittsburgh, where they gave up 37, Louisville, where they gave up 38, and Duke, where they gave up 38. Um, other than that, I think you really are comfortable. At the, I, I, I think you're comfortable with the idea, you know, of what they can do defensively going into next year. Uh, they were able to really compete on that side of the football. I mean, heck, they hold Miami to 14 points. They hold it, you know, they they kept them in the game against UNC, losing that one 31-28. And against the Illinois team that we talked about in last week's episode, um, and kind of, you know, really talked highly about. You know, they they were able to, you know, once again, hold them under 30 points, give the offense at least an opportunity to be in and around the game for four quarters. Um, and you think once again, if their offense can turn the corner, then you've got an opportunity here uh with a defense that seems to return, you know, a, a good bit of talent. Um so I, I once again I think defensively, they'll be just as good as they were last year. Um, their offense has to turn that corner. And that's the only that, that's really the only thing that you're hoping for if you're a Virginia fan is can that offense show a semblance of consistency? Uh, can they keep their quarterback upright um, and do the transfers that they brought in, especially at the quarterback position and, and uh, Kobe Pace at the running back position, make a lot of the big difference that you're going to see in this year's team? Uh, not only that, but obviously they brought in three transfers on the offensive line, two of which look like they're going to be starters at the bookends, the left tackle and the right tackle, possibly. Uh, so that's going to be huge, right? You know, uh, you're going to really need those guys to step up. Uh, but that offense is like the MO here. Um, and I think their schedule does not do them any favors, unfortunately, um, especially playing high, um, you know, high octane offenses. They play three, they play two of the other better offenses in college football last year in their first three weeks against Tennessee and Maryland. Uh, like I just talked about, you know, we talked about just a week ago, I think Talia's due in for his first 4,000 yard season. Not a good, you know, not a good omen if you're a Virginia fan. Right. Um, so I, I think realistically, that defense is going to be tested early. Um, and their schedule for me is one where they kind of just have to roll with the punches and get to that second half of the year, right? This is very well a team that could be, you know, three and four, two and five by the time that they see, you know, Miami um, in the second half of the year, Georgia Tech, right? But they can run the table at the back half of the schedule and make it to six and six. It's not a stretch. Georgia Tech, Louisville, Duke, and Virginia Tech, you can win three of those four games. Maybe you, you're able to pull off a shocker, depending on how Louisville is playing, and you, and you win all four of those. Um, or maybe you're able to pull off an early winner early in the year, maybe against the Miami um, as well. You're looking at a team that I think can get to bowl eligibility. Uh, Jesus, I'm going over the I'm going on the over again. I gotta stop this. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I do. I think offensively. I think Tony Elliott kind of was good, you know, kind of had a, a rough first year. And you kind of expected that first-year head coach coming into a, a team that really had not shown too much of a semblance of consistency, and he had to really right that ship. He's getting in some of his guys. I expect Kobe Pace to be really good uh, this year, to be honest with you. Uh, but once again, 
offense, offense, offense. If I was describing Virginia to, to anybody who needs to know them, right now their defense was great last year or was really above that. It was really good uh, for their standard. Their offense, quite the opposite. Uh, can we call them the Iowa, the ACC? Is that possible? I don't know if anyone's off. I don't know if their defense is that good. Are they, are they a defense? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I don't know that their offense is that bad. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I, you know, I, I don't think they, they didn't have the number one total defense in football last year. But I, I think really, realistically, their defense was still, you know, carried that team last year. If their offense can kind of get closer to being right around middle of the pack, you're looking at a team that might surprise some folks. Um, but definitely, if they're able to do that, should be a bowl team. All right, let's go over to Virginia Tech. Finished three and eight last season. Uh, DK's got the win total at five. We have them projected to win over five. But Nick, uh, you know Virginia Tech would need to pull off four upsets according to our projected point spreads to go over that DK win total. How feasible is that? How realistic is it? Well, on the surface, uh, that's tough. You know, teams don't. <laughs> I mean. Teams are uh, underdogs for a reason, and underdogs win, what, like 73% of the time, something like that. Uh, so obviously upsets happen every week, but not very many teams pull off four in a season. The good news is Virginia Tech, they are underdogs of less than a point in three games, the, according to our projected point spreads. Uh, they are underdogs of fewer than three points in two other games. Uh, and they've got a couple of others, uh, really three others, um, where there are an underdog of seven and a half or less. Only two games are they double-digit underdogs. So uh, pretty similar to the first couple of teams that we discussed. And again, I mean, like Xavier saying, like, I don't want to be over <laughs> every time. Uh, we are over on all four of these, and, and part of it is because, uh, one, you know, last year, at least when it comes to Boston College, Virginia, and Virginia Tech, I think they really underachieved. Um, I think all three of those teams played worse than their talent profile would suggest. I believe that they are not, um, you know, were not last year. Uh, three of the least talented teams or, or at a significant talent disadvantage um, in those, you know, seven, eight, nine losses that they suffered. And this year we're just going to see a competitive team. I think that's the case for Virginia Tech as well. Um, yet another second year head coach. Um, I think that, you know, I, I believe if memory serves for uh, Virginia Tech, uh, would have been a favorite over Virginia in the, the regular season game had that happened. So uh, we might have been about a four-win team. Um, but there are, I think, some uh, little bits of positivity. Brent Pry being a defensive head coach, um, the unit did not uh, grade out quite as well statistically on the defensive side of the ball as Virginia did, but they were still far better on defense. They were uh, 46th in defensive team performance overall, 59th against the pass, 67th against the run. So they were, you know, better than FBS average or, or at worst uh, FBS average defending the run. The offense was in the same neighborhood. I mean, just as bad. Uh, 118th overall offensively in team performance, 118th passing, 115th rushing. Um, but like Virginia, Virginia Tech has, has tried to uh, bring in some talent 
through the transfer portal, um, they kind of similar to you know, Georgia Tech and Boston College uh, brought in someone to compete for the starting quarterback job. Grant Wells is a returning starter there, uh, but Chiron Drones is uh, very athletic, has is, is, uh, created some buzz in the past in his early college career at Baylor, just wasn't quite able to break through uh, at that position. Sounds like early in fall camp, at least. Uh, they are close to splitting reps, so I would give uh, Wells the edge. Um, but uh, Virginia Tech significantly upgraded at the wide receiver position through the transfer portal, bringing in Allie Jennings from Old Dominion and Jalen Lane from Middle Tennessee. Uh, they also brought in potentially a, uh, an underrated uh, running back from the FCS level in Basul Tutin, uh, who was very, very productive last year. Uh, he and Malachi Thomas, who was significantly um, impacted by injury, uh, only played you know 18% of snaps last year. The skill positions for Virginia Tech look look pretty good. Um, tight end Nick Gallo is back as a returning starter. Daquan Wright is uh, pretty unique, I think, from a talent standpoint at tight end. Um, and then the offensive line, you know, isn't the the most experienced as far as full time returning starters, but you do get uh, you know Caden Moore and Parker Clements back. Um, and there's there's certainly some youth. I mean, we've got two redshirt freshmen right now penciled in as as starters. Um, but you know, even that unit I think uh, shouldn't be terrible. You know, didn't grade out last year. They were 107th in a line performance. But um, I, I guess I'm still hopeful that that unit can be uh, respectable. You know, even though it is a little bit of a question, I do think they've upgraded enough around the offensive line that we are going to see a step forward statistically in, in you know, quite a few categories. Defensively, the unit is, uh, you know, ranks a little lower in returning production. They were 28th on the offensive side of the ball. They're 54th on defense. Um, they played a lot of players last year. If you're just counting up returning starters, there's only three in our list, but, um, you know, there are guys like CJ McCray and uh, Mario Kendricks and Cole Nelson, all whom of whom we project to start on the defensive line could draw, throw Josh Fuga into that group. They all played over 40% of snaps, but none of them were starters. Uh, Norrell uh, Pollard was, um, and he is back, but so that that's, even though it's, it, you know, on paper, you don't see the bold or on our projection, you know, projection team profile depth charts. Uh, don't see the bold highlight for a returning starter, that's still a, a unit that's got a lot of experience. Um, the linebacker position is, is you know, similar. Uh, Keonta Jenkins is back as a full-time returning starter, but he only played 54% of snaps. Alan Tisdell's back. He played 32. Uh, Jaden McDonald and uh, Kelly Lawson and Jaden Keller all played more than 20% of snaps, so they've got some experience there. As well, you bring in a transfer in Antoine Powell Ryland from Florida, uh, who's pretty, you know, talented as a, a high, the highest uh, talent rating uh, when he was a high school recruit among uh, the Virginia Tech defensive players. Nasir Peoples is back as a returning starter. They add Derek Canteen, who was a starter, 25 games at Georgia Southern. So I think that they've one, got the potential to be a pretty well-coached team on defense. I think we saw the signs 
uh, of a program that was going to sort of emulate its head coach, who's a defensive-minded uh, head coach in Brent Fry, longtime defensive coordinator uh, at Penn State. And I think that they've developed depth and experience, even if, you know, they're not just bringing back a, a unit in full. Um, sprinkled in a couple of potential impact transfers. They did, unfortunately, uh, found out this week that Stone Snyder, who is an FCS All-American at VMI, had transferred in, incredibly productive, was a 95-rated player in our individual team ratings, did not or is no longer uh, expected to, to join the roster. So uh, that was a, a little bit of a blow, but still, I, I think that um, defensively, they're going to be they're going to be tough, you know, talent wise, not quite what we're used to from Virginia Tech uh, the previous decade or more. Um, but still, you know, mid to, to top half uh, in most of our position strength numbers on that side of the ball. They're fifth in the ACC at linebacker. Uh, they are seventh at defensive back. And even though the defensive line grades out or or, you know, doesn't uh rank very highly um that is perhaps the the most experienced unit so i think that this virginia tech team is going to be competitive there are winnable games in the non-conference uh really all four games are winnable um they may go two and two <laughs> against old dominion purdue Rutgers, and marshall uh but four knows not out of the question either and then uh they're not going to be you know, at a significant talent disadvantage against the vast majority of the ACC either. Uh, they're pretty close to, you know, on par, especially with the teams they play in the back half, Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia, you know, Wake Forest uh, middle of the season. So um, Virginia Tech, I, I do expect to take a step forward record-wise, uh, do expect to take a step forward on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not sure that their range of potential outcomes is quite as high maybe as we were talking about with Boston College, as weird as that sounds, because I think Virginia Tech might be a better team than Boston College. Um, obviously, they are higher in our power rankings. Um, but this is yet another team. Uh, this bottom four all are very similar in that I do expect them to be competitive and to not get blown out very often. It's just, are they going to be able to, to find a way to win enough? Uh, and for VT, as you mentioned, you know, they're going to have to win um, at least a few games that they're they're not expected to. Xavier, do you think uh, Tech can can do it? Can they win enough of these games to push over this DK total, or are you just not really impressed with what's happening here and thinking that maybe our projected win total is correct here more than uh, what we uh, or our our favored is uh, you know closer to our projected win total? Yeah, I, I think this is the first team I kind of feel comfortable saying that they won't go over their five wins. Um, I, I think that I'm not all that sold on Grant Wells. Um, and I probably shouldn't be uh, defensively. I'm oh, sorry, excuse me, offensively. I think they brought in a, a, a lot of transfers, uh, but I'm not bought into uh, to what they're to what they're necessarily trying to sell me at the moment. Their offensive line should be better um, in some respects, especially the right right side. Uh, bringing back two returning starters. Um, but that left side of the offensive line is going to be extremely young. I mean, you got – and Nick, is this nailed on, I'm assuming? you got two redshirt freshmen playing left tackle and left guard for them this year. 
Uh, uh, that's that's the current projection. Okay. There's still plenty of, of it's things still, to work still, out, but yeah, they're going to be young in a couple of spots. Yeah, it's still an extremely young room as it is. I'm, I'm reading the rest of it. You've got redshirt freshmen and sophomores littered, you know, uh, amongst it as well. So, you know, not a ton of experience there, especially on, you know, that side of the uh, – on the more, the more, you know, more important side for a quarterback. So, you know, uh, you look at their defense, once again, not too not, – not extremely excited about what they didn't do in the transfer portal. Uh, they only brought in two guys of note um, in the, um, on the defensive side of the ball, one in the secondary, one in the linebacking room. Um, and I'm just I'm not necessarily all that sold on what they were able to do this offseason. You know, uh, as you you know, as um, I alluded to earlier, when you don't have the guys, college football has given you a way to go get them, especially for a school with as much history and as much pedigree as Virginia Tech, regardless of how bad they've been over the last couple of years. They're still Virginia Tech. They still can bring in some high end talent, especially from the G5 level. They just didn't. They just didn't, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is where I feel like they need a ton of help. Uh, There's a team that couldn't stop anybody at the beginning of the year. I mean, they gave up 33 to West Virginia. West Virginia didn't score 30 against that many teams last year. Uh, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think realistically, you know, um, you're looking at a team or you're looking at a roster that I think just needed a, a big infusion of talent and didn't get it, which concerns me. Uh, this is a team that, you know, very well could find itself you know, at the bottom of the ACC this year, in my opinion, uh, their schedule starts off with Old Dominion. And as we know, last year, that's no slouch, right? That's no slouch whatsoever. Uh, they didn't play Purdue, which I think, you know, we talked about it, you know, an episode ago. It's going to be, it's going to be, oh, it's not going to be nearly as good as they were last year, but it's going to be competitive. Rutgers too. Marshall ran buckshot over the Sun Belt last year. Um, and, you know, it's poised to try to do that again. Uh, this year, so their non-conference schedule doesn't even, you know, allude for them to have a, a cakewalk whatsoever. Then they get thrown into Pitt, Florida State, Wake Forest, um, you know, and, and where I do believe like the back half of the schedule is, you know, a little bit more manageable. Um, it might be all too little, too late. You know, I think this is realistically a team in its first uh, six games could be two and four, you know, three and three at its absolute peak. Um, you know, I'll be surprised if they're anything better, but it's going to take a progression step from Grant Wells, but that defense is going to have to just, you know, get better. Um, you know, like I said, not much of an inf- infusion of talent I brought in from the transfer portal. So you're expecting a lot of these juniors that were on the team last year to get better. Uh, they have a senior laden defense outside of, you know, one sophomore um, and Manzor Delane, but old garbage just smells worse. And I think that's the situation here at Virginia Tech. Um, and for the first time in the episode, I can go under. And I hate to do it for the Hokies, but that's just kind of how I feel right now. All right, let's uh, go over to Wake Forest. And uh, Wake Forest record last year was eight and five. Their DK win total has moved down at six and five. Uh, this is an under for us. We are under the uh, six and a half win total for Wake Forest. And of course, it's Wake Forest that is the first under here, Nick, uh, which is consistently underrated by many, maybe including our talent numbers. How confident are we that the Demon Deacons take a step back this season and don't hit that win total? Uh, not, not super confident because, like you said, Wake Forest pretty consistently plays better than its talent profile would suggest. But last year, if memory serves, uh, we were lower on Wake Forest than the win total, and, and that worked out for us. Um, this year, 
Wake Forest is uh, toward the pretty extreme low end as far as returning production goes. There are 116th overall, 114th on the offensive side, 98th on defense. Uh, of course, Sam Hartman transferred to um, uh, Notre Dame. Uh, they lost A.T. Perry, maybe the best wide receiver in the ACC. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, these numbers actually are probably a little bit worse once you count that uh, Donovan Green expected to be a starting uh, wide receiver is out with a, another low body injury. Um, it sounds like it's it's not going to be quite to the extent that forced him to miss the uh, 2021 season, but the reports that we've seen and, and Dave Clawson the head coach said three to five months. So uh, there's still plenty of talent. The wide receiver group is is still going to be a strength and one of the better units in the conference. Jamal Banks has an argument uh, as, as and he might have the chance, especially if, if uh, a little of the production that might have gone Green's way goes to him, uh, maybe could be considered the favorite to lead the league in uh, receiving yards, uh, you know, there's certainly some other challengers, but I think he's in uh, on the short list. And then Tyler Morin and Keyshawn Williams, Wesley Grimes, Walker Merrill, you know, there's there's talent and there's depth there. Um, Justice Ellison, returning starter at running back. And then, you know, Clawson is just kind of a, a little bit of a quarterback whisperer, right? I mean, there was Jamie Newman who played so well, transferred and then never played again. Uh, opted out in 2020 when he transferred to Georgia. But, um, you know, there was a, a minute there where there were folks talking about him as a potential first round NFL draft pick and then doesn't get drafted at all. And, and uh, I think was you know, CFL or maybe one of the others. Um, and then Sam Hartman goes on and, and has such a, a productive career. We'll see if he's able to carry that over to uh, Notre Dame. But um, I'm, you know, fairly optimistic that Mitch Griffiths is going to step in and, and continue to just play well. Wake Forest just kind of has a little bit of a track record, and it's not always guys who are, you know, it's not like they're even Sam Hartman, not necessarily like he's uh, NFL quarterback after NFL quarterback. So that makes me think that, you know, Clawson and his coaching staff does a, does a pretty good job. So I think on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they're probably not going to be fourth in passing team performance like they were last year. Uh, but I do think that, you know, being a top 50 unit, they were 44th overall, in part because they were only 112th uh, rushing the ball, the running the ball. But I do think top 50 is doable. So I think they can maintain that. And then the question is, you know, where does the defense go? Because last year they were 81st in team performance really, really struggled defending the pass. They were 121st. Uh, they also lost one of the very best players in Russell Bothroyd, who transferred to Oklahoma. Uh, sounds like it's already emerging as a starter for the Sooners on the defensive line. Um, uh, he is not the only starter that they lost up front. Uh, in fact, there's no full-time returning starter back, uh, even with you know, Justine Davis played starter type snaps, just wasn't a starter on, uh, you know, in name, but uh, he's back and highly productive, but they're, you know, relying on um, some inexperienced guys or some new guys elsewhere. Uh, the secondary, as much as they struggled last year, 
looks like a strength. Uh, they do have three returning starters, and that's before you even take into account Nick Anderson, who is an all-conference performer as a freshman in uh, 2021, as a redshirt freshman. Missed all of last season. He's back. Sounds like it's healthy and at the top of the depth chart again uh, at safety. So, you know, maybe we get a little bit better uh, play from the defensive backs. The pass rush is a, you know, little bit of a question mark given uh, what they've got to replace in the front six. But I think you could make an argument that, you know, Wake Forest, again, should at least be able to maintain uh, roughly FBS average team performance level. Um, and if they're able to do that, you know, maintain on both sides of the ball, uh, then, yeah, beating this projected win total um, is very possible. I mean, if they just repeated what they did last year, they'd be an eight and five team. So, you know, get the get the seven wins in the regular season and uh, surpass uh, that win total. Nevertheless, a lot has to go right. They are going to be uh, at a talent disadvantage in every ACC game, it looks like. Our talent edge projections um, even have Georgia Tech and Duke uh, favored and have just about everybody else favored by a touchdown or more. So, you know, that's that's a little bit of a concern, but Wake Forest does have a track record of playing better uh, than its talent might suggest. So I, I don't expect them to take a huge, huge step back. Um, I think they could maintain, but I don't, I don't necessarily think we're just automatically wrong on being under six and a half. I think six and a six, six and six is a reasonable expectation. I would not be at all shocked if they win seven or eight. Um, but I think that uh, the way that things stack up right now, uh, you know, a six win projection is fair. Uh, Xavier, what do you think about Wake Forest? Are you wishy-washy on them as well? Or are you see a team that is definitely taking a step back uh, or a team that has been underrated and continues to be underrated once again? Yeah, I'm getting into the, I'm getting ready to start calling them kind of the Kentucky of the ACC. I, I just feel like they have a ceiling at maybe nine wins every year. And they'll hit that in good years, but in bad years, they don't like drop out. It's like, yeah, in bad years, we went six and six, seven and five, but in good years, we were like nine and three. That's what they're kind of starting to become. And it's due to the fact that I think their offense and Nick kind of alluded to it a little bit. Uh, their offense is just rather, I don't want to say simple, but they make the reads a little bit easier for quarterbacks. Uh, they, they run easily the longest RPO of all time. Uh, you know, by keeping in the running back's belly for that long, it allows the QB more than, more than enough time to read the middle of the field and get it out of his hand uh, to the right receiver or in times where, you know, uh, you've got a defense on his heels because maybe you're expecting that long handoff. They're able to throw it over the top and really go for 50-50 balls because they have to pack in, the you know, the box so much because of that run game. You know, I, so I think, you know, Nick alluded to Griffiths. I think he's going to be rather successful this year. Um, you know, I, I also think – their offensive line, you know, has enough, just enough talent in it as far as seniors are concerned to be able to compete, right? You bring back two starters and one guy who had, you know, 36% of the stats last year. Yeah, you're going to be forced to play two uh, younger guys or two guys with that, you know, with a less, with far less experience. But I think that they can hold it down um, on the other on the other side. 
I want to see. I don't know Donovan Green's, you know, um, expected, you know, when he's expected to come back. But if he can come back and get, you know, and give, you know, eight, nine games to Griffiths, that's going to be huge. Green is obviously one of their best, if not their best, pass catcher. Uh, but seemingly every year they put they, they, you know, another guy comes out of the woodworks and shines for them in their receiving core, whether it be At Perry last year. Um, you know, or like I think Donovan Green could do it this year. I'm not, you know, I think Jamal Banks is another one that could. Um, yeah, remember, Green's out for three to five months. But right. Banks, yeah. I, I, I like Banks. I think Banks, you know, could be that A.T. Perry mode, a little bit lighter as far as weight is concerned, but got the height, got that 50-50 ball kind of range where they're definitely going to look for him in the red zone. You know, a lot of those A.T. Perry style catches, uh, as soon as they get inside the 20, hurry up, throw it up. Um, kind of kind of offense for him on the defensive side of the ball, which has really been their biggest concern over the last couple of years, uh, where I think, you know, they probably need to progress a little bit more if they're ever going to compete at the highest level. Um, their defense is getting a little bit older. Um, you know, they're going to have a ton of juniors and seniors. Uh, they, they brought in some transfers where they felt like they needed to, um, on the one on the defensive line, one in the linebacker room. But that secondary, for me, has got to be better. I mean, geez. I don't mean to be mean, but you made DJ Ungalale look like a first-round draft pick last year, and we all know he was not. Um, you know, I had probably his best passing game at Clemson, I want to say, or darn near close. Uh, that defense got to show up. You know, Sam Hartman is no longer there to win you 40-point shootouts. Your defense has got to play better, more consistent, and just in some regards have a pulse. But on the back half of this year, they only held one team under 30 points. And that was Boston College. We talked about how bad Boston College was um, after their bye week. They gave up 48 to Louisville, 30 to NC State, 36 to North Carolina, 35 to Syracuse, and 31 to Duke. It's not going to cut it if you're looking to compete at the highest level in the ACC. Uh, So the defense has to obviously make a jump here at some point. You have a senior later in the back half that should, should make you more competitive, um, at least from the defensive back room. Uh, The one kind of, you know, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago with uh, with the Big 12, I believe. Uh, but the one thing about Wake Forest and where I think they struggle, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is they don't recruit big corners. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a coach's identity, but if you look at the height around their DBs, it's like 5'10", 5'11". They might have one or two six-foot guys. And I think that they struggle with that a lot of times when they play these bigger and better schools as teams are really just like, all right, cool, we're going to throw 50-50 balls, and are you guys going to be able to beat us uh, time in and time out? And they just struggle to do so. So, uh, you know, maybe – Changing a little bit of the recruiting philosophy there might help them going forward, but just an observation. Um, if the defense is better, this is definitely going to be a team that can go over their DK win total. I'm not poised to say that they are. I think losing Hartman's are going to be a massive miss for them this year. Um, the barometer game for me is going to be Vanderbilt in week two. Let's see how good or bad you are. If Vanderbilt steamrolls you, we know where you stand. If you steamroll uh-huh. Vanderbilt, you kind of know where you might get to. So uh, Do we, though? I mean, if you steamroll Vanderbilt. I mean, for this for this Wake Forest team, maybe a Sam Hartman led Wake Forest team. You're absolutely correct. This Wake Forest team goes into Vandy, or is it going into Vandy? Uh, no, if this Wake Forest team beats Vandy by 20, yeah, I, I, I I'll take that with more okay. than a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a team that maybe wins five games at the absolute most. Uh, so that's back to back unders. Yes. Um. I think that, you know, once again, the Hartman miss is going to be huge, and that defense has not been good enough to not have a extremely potent offense carry it for 12 games. And even with that, they haven't necessarily seen the successes that we all thought they could with the level of offense that they've had. You lose a lot of that offense production-wise in A.T. Perry and Sam Hartman. 
I see a down year for Wake Forest coming. All right, let's go over to Syracuse, who finished seven and six last season. Six and a half is their DK win total. We are officially under that six and a half win total. Nick, for Syracuse, Syracuse strengths of schedule grades out lower than BC's, and the Orange just need to win the games in which they are favored to do so, and they'll hit the over. But it seems like maybe we don't trust them to do that. Syracuse is a tough team for me to trust. Um, you know, last year wasn't bad. They looked uh, pretty exciting in the first half of the year, especially. Uh, they started 6-0. Uh, but offensively, you know, the move to Robert and I was, was uh, a nice uh, shot in the arm for a team that, you know, seemed to maybe have lost a little bit of its uh, offensive identity. Of course, you know, Sean Tucker, they were able to uh, build around prior to that. But Anai, I think, was – um, kind of uniquely gifted as a, a an offensive uh, play caller and you know play designer, off, you know just just sort of the unique things that he does. Um, of course, he is gone, moved to NC State. Uh, nevertheless, uh, his right hand man protege um, is stepping up and and you know taking over the the play calling duty. So. Uh, we will see how Jason Beck does. He was with um, Robert and I, I think, going all the way back to 2013 when they were at BYU together. Um, so you would expect that they have very similar philosophies as far as uh, designing an offense and calling plays and things like that. So it's probably going to be similar in a lot of ways. That's good news for you know players like Ronde Gadsden II, uh, who – is listed as a tight end as sort of a, a CFF uh, cheat code a little bit because he really doesn't actually uh, play much traditional tight end. But um, Garrett Schrader proved to be a pretty good fit at quarterback, especially if he can stay healthy. Um, you know, they, they do, of course, miss, will miss Sean Tucker. But McQuint Allen got good news on uh, what appeared to be a possible season suspension for him. Uh, he is back, and I, to my knowledge, going to be available uh, immediately. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to play in week one. Um, so offensively, you know, they, they do have a little uh, – they do have a few question marks. You know, the offensive line did – uh, uh, lose four full-time starters, um, but do have, you know, some experienced guys coming back, did sprinkle in a couple of transfers, like just about everybody else. So I don't think we're going to see a significant drop-off in the play of that unit. Uh, graded out as roughly FBS average in our line performance numbers last year. Maybe they'll take a little bit of a step back, but um, with the skill position talent, you know, at quarterback, at tight end, receiver. Uh, I, I think they're going to be uh, similar offensively. Um, and last year, you know, they were they were not spectacular. They graded out 63rd in offensive team performance, 67th passing, 65th rushing. It's about as average as you can get across the board. Um, but if they maintain that, they're going to be another one of those ACC teams who is just competitive week in and week out. The defense was a strength, especially uh, against the pass last season. They were top 20 in defensive passing team performance. Um, they do lose Deuce Chestnut, one of their, maybe their best defensive player. Um, 
but they get a couple of guys back from injury in the front six. Um, really, I mean, the defense is, is uh, pretty experienced. I mean, if you're just counting up uh, returning starters, they actually have more than they do on offense, even though the returning production numbers are a little worse on defense. They're 46 defensively and 24th on offense. Um, but that top, you know, group of players, even with a couple of transfers, because they lost a defensive lineman um, as well to the transfer portal, a starter, uh, gear, I forget his first name, but um, there's, there's still, I think, plenty returning to make you think that they're not going to take a significant step back on defense. So unfortunately, you know, I think that, that for the most part, you know, we're expecting a team with fairly mediocre talent, 67th in overall roster strength, 63rd on offense, 67th on defense. That was a very mediocre offensively last year. I mentioned where they ranked the team performance. On defense, they were a little better than mediocre, but, you know, not expecting a huge step forward. I think we're just sort of expecting this Syracuse team to to kind of maintain a very average uh, level of play. And in the ACC, maybe that's good enough to get you to a bowl game like they were last year. Uh, the schedule, as you mentioned, is manageable, especially in the non-conference early with Colgate, Western Michigan, Purdue, and Army. It gets uh, tougher with arguably the three best teams in the ACC immediately after that. Um, but there are a lot of, lot of winnable games uh, in the back half of the schedule as well once they can regroup uh, on that bye week on October 21st. So my, my expectation is, is – uh, uh, you know, I don't necessarily trust Syracuse to take care of business every time that they're favored. Um, so with that in mind, I'm okay with us being under the six and a half, but I do think that this team is good enough and competitive enough um, that, that they're going to be tough to beat week in and week out. And we'll just have to see how that offensive line comes together, new offensive play caller uh, to see if there's any, uh, room for growth with this team because I, I don't, at least at this point, uh, expect a major drop-off. Xavier, your thoughts on Syracuse. Do you, are you like Nick? You don't expect a major drop-off or do you yeah. have questions about uh, some of the stuff going on here? Yeah, I think offensive line has to come together like Nick alluded to, right? Um, offensively, though, I think they'll be perfectly fine. I, I like some of the receivers that they have, Damian Alford in particular. Um, that's, that, that's a kid who is, I mean, yeah, he's all a bit of six, six. And if they can figure out a way to get him the ball consistently without, similarly to how US, uh, not USC, but FSU uses their extremely tall receiver. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but you know, I, I think once again, the offense, I don't see a, like a significant drop off like Nick alluded to, um, defensively is where I want to see them progress a little bit. I mean, I know they're dealing with some injuries, uh, but this is a defense that is senior-laden, that has shown flashes, right? Uh, I remember texting you guys last year during the Syracuse-Clemson game. It was just like Syracuse is dominating. Like, if Syracuse could just have, you know, decided that, hey, we want to take care of the football in the second half, they probably would have got the biggest win in maybe program history at Clemson, which I believe was a top 15 team, maybe top 10 team at the time. Even though I think they have been Clemson maybe one other time, but that wasn't Syracuse in particular. That was Kelly Bryant, I believe. Um they just, I think in some respects, they fell apart on the back half of the year, but also they kind of lost the games everybody expected them to, right? Like 
They lost to Clemson. They lose to Notre Dame. They lose to Florida State. They lose to Wake Forest. Maybe you say at Pitt, maybe they should have been a little bit better, but they were dealing with some injuries at that time. I think they kind of handled business the way they were supposed to last year. I think seven and six, you know, eight and five, if obviously they win their bowl, if they win their bowl game, it's kind of right away where I would have had them last season. It's probably right around where I have them this season. You know, they play a pretty soft non-conference. They might be 4-0 coming out of the non-conference schedule, um, obviously. Then they get their toughest stretch. I mean, they get that out of the way, which I think for them is probably extremely important for the, for the, the actual success of their season, right? You get Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State back to back to back. All right, cool. After that, we get a bye week. We can dust our hands of probably three shellackings. And then, you know, move on to the second half of the year, which is going to be much more competitive and give them an opportunity to, you know, better that seven and five regular season record that they had last year. I don't see why they can't. Um, the second half of the year, really the only game I'm thinking that they have a genuine, have a real, you know, uh, contest off, you know, just off of what we've already done so far is maybe against Pitt at the neutral site game. But other than that, I just, I think they could run the table the second half of the year, man, find themselves sitting at eight and four, you know, one better than what they did last year, uh, maybe nine and three if all things go right. Uh, but I take the over here uh, with Syracuse. Uh, Garrett Schrader has gotten starts already due to some of the volatility that they had at the quarterback position as far as health is concerned. So I've watched him play. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be pretty darn good next year uh, or this year coming up. I, I, I don't see why they can't, man. I, I don't see why they can't get better than what they were last year. Um, and kind of, once again, kind of build upon some of the things that they were able to do last year. It's really going to be on the back of the defense to kind of take a progression step for sure. Uh, but offensively, they've got some of the talent. Um, and I think their schedule allows them to kind of, you know, get their four wins under their belt before they kind of see the toughest part of their schedule. And then the rest of the year, you know, is, I think, a toss-up, if not, you know, them being favored in, in a lot of these games. So, Eight and four is probably the best I'd give them this year, but that's well over their DK win total. So, yeah, I, I like Syracuse to go over. All right, let's go over to Duke. Uh, Duke finished last season nine and four. Their DK win total for this year is only six and a half. We are under that six and a half. So, Nick, for Duke, uh, they were one of the biggest surprises in the country last season, but will our projections and betting markets look silly for expecting Blue Devils fall so short? of last year's nine wins. Tough, tough number to match, though, I would say. It is tough. Um, I was so impressed with Duke last year. Uh, really liked what I saw out of Riley Leonard at quarterback. Um, Jalen Calhoun was productive at receiver. Jordan Moore, I think, has the potential to be even better than Calhoun this year. I mean, he was competing for the starting quarterback job this time last season. Goes on moves to wide receiver full-time during the year and finishes incredibly strong. I just, uh, if anybody's listened to uh, my daily, twice daily show for Campus Canton, see two a days. Uh, today, I, I gushed about a report I read about Jordan Moore and a catch he made in, in uh, a recent spring practice. So I think that, you know, the, the offensive talent is really quite good. I mean, Graham Barton's one of the better tackles in the country. Um, they lose three full-time starters on the offensive line, but immediately replace them uh, with three players who have at least 20 games started in their college career, guys who played you know, 90 or 98% of snaps at their previous stops. Um, and that was a recipe for success last year at Duke. I mean, they, they 
hit the transfer portal pretty hard uh, on the offensive line, and, and it worked out really, really well. Just about everybody else is back. I mean, they're third in offensive returning production, fifth overall in returning production, um, you know, 33rd on the defensive side of the ball, which was the weaker side on the field, especially defending the pass, but pretty good run defense, and there's some talent in guys like, uh, you know, Dwayne Carter and, and R.J. Oban, uh, Vincent Anthony, uh, you know, Jermaine Franklin, that, those guys are, are all back up front, uh, so should be one of the better, certainly one of the more experienced defensive lines in the ACC. Uh, they rank 11th nationally in our position strength numbers. That's sixth actually in the conference. So a lot of good defensive lines in this league, but uh, Duke's definitely got, you know, uh, a strength there. Uh, at linebacker, they're, you know, they, they've got experienced guys. Cam Dillon, Dorian Mossy both uh, played a significant number of stats. Didn't, didn't put up a, you know, huge production totals are, are grayed out super, super well, but um, I expect the secondary to be strong. You know, they, they uh, similar to what they did on the offensive line last year, hit a home run in the transfer portal in the secondary. They're trying to do that again with guys like Miles Jones and Al Blades Jr. Uh, just picked up Jeremiah Lewis, who transferred back to Duke after uh, going to Northwestern. So I, uh, I mean, most teams <laughs> coming off a nine-win season who rank in the top five overall in returning production, who have a quarterback that is getting some NFL draft buzz, who have one of the best offensive linemen in the country, uh, who have talent and experience at every skill position. Yeah, you would think that we are significantly underrating them, but it's just kind of hard sometimes to, to turn that part of your brain off that says this is Duke and those roster strength numbers where they rank 87th overall, 94th on offense, 83rd on defense. I think those are too low. I mean, I really do think Riley Leonard is, is a good quarterback, fun to watch, going to be productive again, assuming he stays healthy. I do think he's got some really fun uh, weapons to work with, but I also kind of understand that nine wins, Duke was probably uh, overachieved a little bit. And, I mean, looking at the postgame win expectancy numbers, we would only expect them to win 8.75. So it's not like they got super, super lucky. Um, you know, they actually the, – even the overtime loss against Georgia Tech wasn't a coin flip. They were 2.4% in the, uh, you know, beyond the box score numbers in that game. So they deserve to lose it, even though uh, that one happened in, in overtime. They had some real toss-ups against North Carolina and Pitt, but um, this team, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as good as they were, and they deserved the record that they ended up with, and so many key pieces are back this year, man, yeah, it, it feels like we are underrating them. But that's, that's sort of how the numbers shake out, and I, I do understand it. You, you know, we don't really trust teams that just take such a huge step forward in one year. I kind of need to see uh, them back it up, and, and 
they'll have an opportunity this year. And in, in some respects, I hope they make uh, us look silly because Duke was a really, really fun team last year. Um, and they do have the potential to, to be that again. But I do think that the more likely outcome is they take at least a step back. Will they be under six and a half wins? That even seems like a, a bit of a stretch, but I, but I do think it's possible, and I do understand why our projections say so. Xavier, what do you think of Duke? Do you think uh, maybe we're underestimating them, or do you think it's more likely they overachieved last year and they're going to come a little bit back down to earth this year? Yeah, I, I hate to be that guy, you know. You know, I, Yeah, I just feel like it's, it's time to come back to earth a little bit. I, I think they even started to somewhat last year. Um in that year, you know, and I'm not – I won't be too surprised if they do, were to do so this season. Obviously, they start off their year with Clemson, which could be the first – you know, could be one hell of a comeback down to earth moment. Um, they also get Notre Dame as well early in the season, so that too. Uh, but you saw some of the – you saw some of the, the inconsistencies last year, right? You lose a game to Georgia Tech that you're probably not supposed to lose. Um, you know, you're and, and a lot of their games, even, you know, later on in the year, were one-score possessions, Right. Uh, or one score games, you beat Pitt by two, you beat Wake Forest by three, you beat Boston College by seven. Uh, so you saw some of the, you know, some, you know, them come down just a tad bit from some of the dominance that they showed early in the year. On top of the fact that their schedule, just keeping it, you know, keeping it a hundred with the fans, got more difficult. So you know, you look at really what was going on last year. I also think some of the teams that they were able to kind of manhandle last year, like in Miami, should be better this year. Emphasis on should, um, but. I do think that they're still not going to plummet. You know, I, I think this still should be at the worst, you know, a six and six ball club. I just don't see them going from nine and four to like four and eight. Right. Um, their schedule isn't that hard. They they do still have to play lot. They still get Lafayette and Northwestern and Connecticut uh, and UConn, you know, to really bolster that early part of the year. You know, I think they come out three and two out of, you know, that first five games before their bye week. Uh, I will say, though, that they do ha- get somewhat of a, a really tough run right after their bye week. Uh, but I think they, they right the ship. They probably pick up a win over maybe NC State or Louisville in that time frame, and they probably finish right around 6-6. Six and six. I think 7-5 and five is where I feel comfortable, uh, which is where which would be the over for them. They, just, they, they didn't lose enough talent for me. Um, this isn't like something where they completely are going to fall off the face of the planet. They, fa- they, got the, you know, they bring back 86% of their returning production on the offensive side of the ball, and 70% production, uh, returning production on the defensive side of the ball. Once again, not enough talent has left for me. So with that being the case, I can't suggest that they're just going to plummet just because it's Duke. You know, Nick alluded to it, though. When it, when last year, when we were talking about, like, Duke being, what, I think 8-1 and one through their first uh, nine games, I think all of us were like, Duke? Um, you know, uh, so I, I think they, 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 they really did surprise us last year. Uh, but Duke tends to put together like a couple of these seasons. They did it with Daniel Jones, um, obviously, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, with Cutcliffe as well. And so they kind of have this in them every now and then, seemingly every, once or twice every, you know, recruiting cycle. They kind of put together a season. And you're like, hmm, is Duke just a basketball school? Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that they, they'll come back down to earth, but they won't plummet down to earth. So seven and five is the absolute worst I see for them this year, uh, but they could very well replicate the eight and four and uh, you know uh, you know eight and four or even close to a nine and three record if you know all things go together. And once again, like I kind of said earlier in the episode, if the ACC kind of shows itself to still be you know some of the guys we expect to be better, like a Miami, right, like an NC State, just aren't. 
Duke is a team that's going to benefit from that for sure. So I'm going to go with the over for Duke. Um, and, and another, I guess, surprising team for the Blue Devils. How about uh, that interesting year for Duke? I love Riley Leonard. I love watching him so much. Uh, so I'm going to be rooting for Duke. Uh-oh, I hear, uh, I hear another draft day darling. That's what I hear out of Scott right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just missed him. We're doing this big FSGA draft, too, and I just missed him by uh, one spot as well uh in the draft in the second round so a little upset about that but uh let's go over to louisville we're gonna move up in the a little, little controversy in how you missed too but uh, i mean i'm not it. yeah <laughs> i mean whatever no. i'm not gonna cry about it uh n- number 38 louisville here uh eight and five last season bk's got their win total at eight we have them favored to win eight, but are just slightly under that eight in the final projection. And we're moving up to the good teams here in the ACC, Nick. <laughs> and Louisville has a very manageable schedule and a lot of talent joining new head coach Jeff Brom from the transfer portal. Can the Cardinals make a surprise run to the ACC title game, even though we kind of have them low man of the good teams in the ACC? It's, it's certainly possible. Um, the schedule sets up pretty well. Uh, you know, they, they do have to play Notre Dame, but of course that's not a conference game. Uh, so even if they lose that, there's, there's plenty of other winnable games on the schedule. Their two toughest uh, opponents are non-conference opponents, Notre Dame and Kentucky. They don't play Florida State. They don't play Clemson uh, in the regular season. They don't play North Carolina. So uh, Miami is our third-ranked ACC team, a little spoiler alert there, but uh, we pretty consistently, at least the last few years, have overrated Miami. So that's that's a game where uh, it's certainly winnable, even on the road at the end of the season. So Louisville, yeah, I think is is going to have a, a real opportunity uh, to win every conference game on the schedule. I mean, really, they've got an opportunity to win every game on the schedule because uh, they are a about a, a, a touchdown underdog against Notre Dame, and that's that's as tough as it gets. So um, uh, this will be a very, very interesting team. So many new faces, not just the coaching staff, but, um, you know, so many players that are likely to start who are – Transfers, Jake Plummer at quarterback, uh, at wide receiver. I mean, there's so many names. Jamari Thrash, Kevin Coleman, uh, Jadon Thompson, Jimmy Callaway inherited, a, you know, some interesting players as well. Guys like Amari Higgins-Bruce, Chris Bell, um, the, you know, offensive line. They hit the transfer portal hard, brought in five new uh, offensive linemen, inherited Brian Hudson, one of the better centers in the ACC has max, you know, gone beyond the, the old max of 100 rating in our individual player ratings. Uh, Renato Brown's also a very experienced offensive lineman. So, you know, you get some uh, talent back to build around up front. Jawar Jordan is explosive, uh, fast running back. Um, and then they added depth to that room as well with Isaac Garendo and then, you know, Morris Turner's, Maurice Turner's back. So, on paper, this Louisville, especially offense, uh, I think has the potential to be one of the better offensive units in the ACC. Uh, they 
were you know little better than FBS average last season under Scott Satterfield, 56 than offensive team performance overall, top 40 against the run, little less than average against the, the pass. Uh, somewhat out of character for Louisville in uh, recent history, the defense really uh, was, was the side of the football that shined. They were a top 20 unit in defensive team performance, top 25 against the run, top 50 against the pass. Uh, they maybe, you know, it's, it's roughly the same number of transfers that they're expecting to uh, play a significant role this year. Um, the, the secondary is experienced, but they really had to, to add uh, a lot of players in the front. Guys like Jeffrey Clark transfer from Georgia State. Stephen Huron, the transfer from Stanford, are productive and or talented, you know, from a raw standpoint, Heron was highly rated coming out of high school. Uh, Keith Brown, incoming transfer, highly rated linebacker, though he hasn't played quite as much uh, as those other guys. In the secondary, four returning starters are back, plus they added guys who have a lot of experience like Storm Duck and Cam Keel, uh, excuse me, Cam Kelly, uh, Devin Neal, Gilbert Frierson, who's played both uh, safety and linebacker in the ACC. So, uh, you know, it's one of those teams, Louisville, where there's just not a, a real weakness. Uh, when you look at the projected depth charts on paper, the schedule sets up really pretty well. A lot of winnable games. The talent level is not elite, not even top 25, but, you know, at top 40, uh, making a run to the ACC championship game. We've seen that happen before. So, it, it you know, I usually am not one to go all in on a first-year head coach at a spot, although Jeff Brom is one of those perfect hires on paper, Louisville guy, been connected to this job for so long, um, brings a quarterback who knows his system. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a lot of things line up to make this Louisville team uh, one that looks really quite dangerous. So, uh, the win total from DraftKings is honestly higher than I expected at eight. Um, so I, I thought we were going to have a chance to uh, be kind of, you know, uh, sneaky high on Louisville where it turns out where we're actually on the under. There are certainly, you know, trying to, to play devil's advocate or give myself maybe some uh, hope or, or uh, just <laughs> – you know, trying to trying to talk away into to why we're maybe on the right side. There's certainly plenty of things that can go wrong with a new coaching staff and a lot of incoming transfers. Uh, but I think the original point or the original question is is probably the right one. This team is, in my opinion, closer to challenging for the ACC title than they are uh, significantly underperforming. I mean, a, a seven seven win team, yeah, it'd be fine. Six wins would feel like a real disappointment for Louisville. Uh, Xavier, where are you on Louisville? Are you, eh, maybe we should think of them more closely as a bottom feeder or uh, no, I, I would expect them to be in the ACC title game more than I expect them to bottom out. I just want to, I want to pump the brakes on them just a little bit, just because of how much they've brought in as far as the transfer portal is concerned. I mean, their entire offense might be transfers this year. So for me, as much talent as they brought in, and I love it, right? When you feel like you need an infusion of talent, especially with a brand new coach, you hit the transfer portal hard, and they did. You know, they brought in, I think, three transfer QBs, uh, one on the running back, four wide receivers, one uh, tight end, you know, six 
offensive linemen, right? Like they they went bonkers. But I, I think with that, you also make sure you also have to be honest with yourself and realize that that's going to take a minute to mesh. Uh, that's going to take a minute to get, you know, for all those pieces to come together. And where for me, the only part of their schedule where I go, this could all fall apart, is that three game window, NC State, Notre Dame, Pitt. Will they be able to put, you know, especially with the two games, you know, with NC State and Pitt being on the road, um, NC State's a Friday game. I don't know what it is about NC State and Friday games, but they play up. You go to Pitt, we all know what happens there. They tend to play better at home as well. That could be that trip up, right? And they very well could start 4-0 to start the season off. Georgia Tech, Murray State, Indiana, Boston College. I expect them to start 4-0. But let's see how they navigate that three-game window. If they're able to get through it with no, you know, uh, no trip-ups, you know, maybe outside of a close loss to Notre Dame, then, yeah, I couldn't agree more with Nick. This should be a team that competes for the ACC title. But with all these transfers in, transferees, and the number one thing that I've said and been consistent on in all these podcasts is the quarterback situation has to hit the ground running if he's a transfer. Um, And Jack Plummer, for all the things he's been good at, He's definitely not the style of quarterback that they've had over the last couple of years with Malik Cunningham, for sure. Um, you know, and he has to be better. I think he's been good at times, but I don't think he's put together a full season to where I'm like, yeah, that quarterback situation is exactly what they need to be to compete for the ACC title. Just, you know, 3,000 yards, 21 touchdowns, nine interceptions last year. That's not something where I point to and go, well, that's a guy who can, you know, win a shootout if necessary and they might have to whether that be against nc state or that is against um you know possibly um notre dame right so yeah i think that they should be in the conversation in the preseason for sure but i really am excited to see what they do in that three-game window um to see if they're for real or not that'll be what you know i you know i like to pick up barometer games i guess that's a barometer stretch uh, of what you know that they're, they're you know what they're actually capable of this year you know they are kind of they're, they're doing the Kirby Smart they're doing the Scott Frost they're going to get a guy who's you know quote unquote bleeds the colors of the colors of the school and where I love that it can always end in the Scott Frost situation you know not yeah. saying that it will but you know it's, it's it's not you know for every Kirby Smart there's a, you know there's a Scott Frost so I'm going to hold off a little bit, tamper my expect, temper my expectations with them uh, just a tad bit. I think this is, you know, still at only at worst a seven-win ball club, like at worst. But I'm not ready to be like, yeah, this should be a nailed-on, like ACC title contender, even with a manageable schedule. That three-game stretch could be extremely daunting depending on what's, you know, how everybody else looks going into those weeks. All right, let's go over to one of the the first of four teams that we have in the 20s here ranked in the ACC NC State last season, finishing eight and five, six and a half is their DK win total. We are officially over that six and a half. Nick for NC State, uh, they were a trendy conference championship pick last season, but QB injuries derailed the Wolfpack. Could Dave Doran have a post-hype sleeper of a team in 2023? I think it's going to be tough because I do think that the top end of the ACC is really good. Clemson and Florida State are just the clear favorites in my mind. And then I think just about everybody else, uh, it's, it's, it reminds me a little bit of the Big 12 last year where there are just no easy outs, right? Even Kansas, it, it really elevated its level. 
of play. Uh, Texas Tech, you know, is now a ranked team in the preseason. Um, so the, the teams that we got used to thinking, you know, West Virginia uh, is, is a tough team to beat. Uh, Iowa State, I mean, the ACC is kind of like that, where even the teams that come up short of bowl eligibility, uh, you know, who struggled last year, the Georgia Techs, Boston College, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, those teams can beat an NC State on the right, you know, weekend, or, or uh, we get one of those uh, uh, Friday night kicks, which uh, NC State has to travel to Virginia on a Friday night and gets Louisville at home on a Friday night. You know, weird things can happen uh, in either scenario. Those aren't slam dunk wins, even though uh, we do have NC State favored in both of those games. Uh, NC State also gets a pretty tough draw as far as the schedule goes by getting Clemson. It is, uh, they do get a, an off week ahead of them and they do get that game at home. So it sets up really, really well. But, uh, you know, having Clemson, Miami and North Carolina on the schedule all within the period basically of a month um, is a tricky way to end the season. Uh, they get a tough game against Notre Dame in the non-conference early on, have a trip to UConn to, to kick off the season, which is, you know, somewhat sneaky. I think that UConn defense is actually going to be decent, uh, maybe even good. We will we'll see for sure. But um, NC State is very much like Louisville, very much like Duke. Uh, Wake Forest even that that you know they're going to have the opportunity and have a good enough team and enough talent uh, especially at some key positions uh, bringing in Brennan Armstrong at quarterback uh, as a transfer you know they've recruited well at the wide receiver position sounds like multiple freshmen are in the mix possibly for playing time uh, the defense brings a lot back uh, even though the returning production number doesn't look great, uh, there's there's quite a lot of experience and, and some of their best players are back. Um, so this this is a team that could upset Clemson, could you know beat Miami, which wouldn't be that big of an upset. Um, that uh, you know would would be understandable for them to beat North Carolina, but then also like this team last year, uh, you know lost to Boston College, lost to Syracuse. Uh, so it's, it's capable of coming up short as well. Um, we could go back and, you know, copy and paste what I said about uh, Robert and I from the Syracuse portion of the show. Really, really love uh, the things that he does offensively, how unique his systems can be, the way he utilizes players with uh, unique skill sets, uh, creates roles for guys. Um, it's going to be fun to see what NC State is able to do because they do have some kind of tweeners. You know, Juice Vereen uh, is listed as a tight end, 6'4", 210, but it uh, sounds like he's, you know, playing receiver. Christopher Toutle, 6'4", 235, listed as a receiver, has played some tight end in the past. Uh, what are they going to do with those guys? How are they going to, uh, you know, implement the incoming transfer, Bradley Rosner from Rice, 6'5", uh, 200 pounds. What are the freshmen going to look like? Trent Pennix is a guy who's another tight end, uh, has a, a background as a running back. What's his role going to be? So NC State is, is exciting to me for a lot of reasons, um, but uh, 
still even those things that that bring excitement come a little bit with question marks um you know the offensive line didn't grade out very well last year isn't the most experienced unit uh they sound like they've got some really exciting freshmen but you know when you're really leaning on freshmen uh, at receiver or tight end is is that necessarily the best thing brennan armstrong two years ago was so good last year fell off a cliff almost um can he recapture you know now that he's reunited with an eye uh, the the things that made him so special uh as both a runner and a passer a couple of years ago you know we'll see defensively nc state was top 15 nationally in team performance top 20 against the run 43rd against the pass they bring back peyton wilson they bring back aiden white both all-conference caliber players uh, Devin Van in the interior defensive line, like Peyton Wilson is, and like Aiden White, all three of them have exceeded that uh, 100 individual player rating threshold or VGR ratings. Um, but, you know, they're going to be counting on some inexperienced guys uh, beside Wilson in the linebacker core and alongside Aiden White and Shaheen Battle in the secondary. You know, the safety position uh is kind of a question uh altogether so uh, i do think that you know there's a there's a chance that we could be talking about this nc state team oh we were just a year too early but also you know looking at the schedule and looking at how uh they've got to figure out answers to a lot of questions especially uh, you know, on the offensive skill positions and, and the offensive line, quite honestly, um, that I, I lean a little bit more toward this seems probably not quite ready yet. I mean, yeah, that circle that game home against Clemson with a week off ahead of time, that that's a tough spot for Clemson. They could win that game. They could also lose at Duke leading into that bye week. You know, they could lose uh, at home against Louisville. Uh, they are going to have a, a really tough matchup at North Carolina. They have to go to Blacksburg. If Virginia Tech is fighting and clawed its way to playing for bowl eligibility on November 18th, that could be a tough spot, you know? Uh, so this NC State team, I think, has a pretty wide range of outcomes. And one of those uh, potential outcomes is, is making a run to really overachieving. Um, and the fact that their DK went total six and a half, I feel pretty good about our over. But I also understand that, you know, a couple of things go wrong like they did last year injury-wise. And uh, this team kind of kind of finishing up limping into six and six in a, a low-tier bowl game is, is a real possibility as well. Xavier, your thoughts here. I mean, uh, you know, NC State seems like a team that, that can, you know, do some damage here. But yeah. what do you think? Similarly to how I feel about Louisville, I, I just want to make sure our expectations are correct with them, right? I, I think that offensively, it's going to take a little bit of a second to mesh. And, and luckily for them, they get Notre Dame in week two. Um, but no, I, I do think that, you know, unlike Louisville, I feel like the schedule is a little bit dip, more difficult. Um, you know, far less manageable from the sense of when they play who, um, outside of really the Clemson game. But they're, they're you know, but their offense, like I said a second ago, did bring in some few key transfers to the receiving core, and obviously the quarterback situation with Britton Armstrong being in, 
Um, you know, giving them some dynamicism back there for sure. Uh, Brennan obviously has the ability to run. Uh, their, their, their defense, though, is going to be where, for me, this team kind of hangs its hat on this year. They've got some uh, some all-ACC talent on this, you know, at, in the linebacker room and in the DB room. Um, and I think that realistically this team is going to kind of have to lean on its defense, which, you know, luckily for them, I, I think will be a, a good thing this year. I think, re- once again, realistically, you look at their schedule, and for them to really manage it the correct way, their defense is going to have to ball out. And I think that realistically – they have, in a lot of their games, a better defense than what the other team is trying not to defensively. Uh, Nick alluded to Louisville. I think Louisville is probably – Louisville and Clemson are – Louisville, Clemson, and Notre Dame are the only games right now that I go defense, their defenses are, like, nailed on better. Um, every other game, that means nine other games, I think that their defense can come out there and really change the direction of how these games are played and allow their offense to kind of come around um, as they so choose to do. Uh, their, their schedule for me – you know, like Nick alluded to, does hinge on a couple of matchups. Notre Dame in week two, um, Louisville in week, I believe that's week five. Yeah, um, and Clemson in week eight. But then the back half of their schedule, you know, once again, you, we say this all the time on the podcast, you cannot let um, Clemson beat you twice. And they are walking into a situation that feels very uh, very reminiscent of, some, of a situation that could happen like that, right? They play Clemson and they get Miami right away. You know, um, and then they get Wake Forest on the road. Like, the schedule doesn't necessarily get easier for you in the sense of, you know, maybe who you're playing, how hot they are at the time that you're playing them. But what does get easier is, you know, you're not playing Clemson anymore. And you've got to remember that, like, look, we can lose to Clemson once. But, you know, if we go in there, you know, at home and Clemson beats us by multiple scores, we can't then also drop an egg against Miami and then also be in a nail-biter against, you know, uh, Wake Forest that's where you lose your season, right? All the hard work that you put in for the last eight weeks gone like that because, you know, you let a, you know, you let a major program kind of, you know, take your energy away. Uh, so as long as they can allow, you know, stay away from anything like that, and as long as Brendan Armstrong can take that leap, I think, you know, he's, he's good enough to do so. I think what we saw him do in previous years lends you to believe that he has the talent to do so as long as he can stay healthy and in the, in the pocket is there. Right. You know, obviously you go back two years ago, he threw 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, you know, on 4,500 yards. He can do it. You know, that that's never been a question. It's always what's the talent around him and, and can he stay upright? Right. Um, and even in that year in particular, you know, and I think where he will really help out this offense is something that I don't think Devin Leary did enough of. Um, and that's his ability to run. You know, again, you know, at Virginia, he did less and less of it as he kind of got, you know, older there. But that's something that I think he brings, you know, a real dynamicism to if he's able to really tap back into that version of himself. You know, the Bernard Armstrong that took 126 carries for 552. I mean, even last year took 123 for 371. That's a level of dynamicism that I think could help an offense that I think, you know, is going to need it um, game in and game out. So I see this team being in and around the conversation. I think seven wins is what I'm comfortable with, so I'm going to go with the over. Um, but once again, like Nick said, this team could easily this team could beat could be uh, Clemson, and I don't think I'd be necessarily surprised about it. They've been close to doing it a couple of times and have done it at least once, so I wouldn't be too terribly shocked. But I just want this I just need this team to you know be able to keep Brendan Armstrong upright because if you are, you're going to get one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, arguably, you know, you may be, you know, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the entire conference if you're able to keep him upright and allow him to be the dynamic quarterback and passer that he can be. 
All right, let's move up over here uh, to Pitt. And Pitt last season finished 9-4, and four, but their DK win total is down to 7. We are officially over the 7. But, Nick, uh, the opposite of Virginia Tech, Pitt would need to be upset four times to miss going over this DK win total. Pitt ranks 107th in returning production. So I guess the big question here is, can the Panthers overcome their inexperience? Uh, I think it's possible. Um, you know, Pitt seemingly always <laughs> loses a game uh, or two that they really shouldn't, or we certainly don't expect. Last year, uh, they fell to Georgia Tech, lost 26-21, had greater than a 50% postgame win expectancy number. Um, but other than that, you know, they were able to regroup and, and for the most part, uh, took care of business. Also dealt a little bit with uh, injuries at the quarterback position, if, if memory serves, in the middle of the season. So that, that perhaps played into why they uh, lost those two games to Louisville and North Carolina, at least, you know, factored in. Um, this year, you mentioned the returning production numbers. I, I think that worries me a little more on the defensive side of the ball. Um, there are, you know, plenty of experienced players, and MJ Devonshire is one of the top defensive backs in the ACC. Um, Pitt is one of those teams that gets its second unit uh, quite a bit of experience. Um, so there's not you know, there's the potential for them to, I think, stem some of that, uh, some of of what you might expect as being a a drop-off because they rank as low as they do in in terms of the the number of players and production coming back. Um, But, you know, there's a a really, really strong track record the last four years of Pitt just putting up one solid defense after another. Last year, they were 11th in team performance. 2021, they were 15th. 2020, they were 21st. And in 2019, they were 13th. So um, I don't necessarily expect, you know, this to, to suddenly become a worse than average FBS defense. And, and it would be a pretty significant step back for them just to play average on, on that side of the ball. Um, and then, you know, factoring in the offense, even though they lost, uh, you know, Izzy Abitaconda, um, even though, you know, there's some some turnover at the quarterback position, um, you could argue that, you know, Keaton Slovis struggled as much as he did last year, even though Phil Dracovic didn't necessarily have a great year. Um, you could say that's probably a wash, maybe uh, an upgrade in some ways. Um, Rodney Hammond Jr. was actually the starter at running back at the beginning of last season, got injured. Um, so at least in theory, uh, he could be just as good. And if not, maybe even uh, the potential to be slightly better. You get Keonta Mumford and Bub Means both back at wide receiver. Add in uh, Dejon Reynolds, who's a, a talented player. Che Eswabuko is, uh, I recently read, considered the fastest player uh, on the, the Penn State, ro- or excuse me, Pitt roster. Ooh. Some people wouldn't like that, um, but <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, Gavin Bartholomew underachieved a little bit from a receiving production standpoint last year, but had a really solid freshman season in 2021. Uh, I just have always loved Malcolm Epps. 
uh, former wide receiver at Texas, transferred to USC to play tight end, um, and uh, is now at Pitt. So, you know, I think the pieces are there. Have heard that early on in uh, fall camp, uh, Pitt is is making a real emphasis to stretch the field. Sounds like. You know, maybe they're not quite going back to the Mark Whipple and Kenny Pickett days as far as uh, their offensive philosophy throwing the football, but probably going to be a little closer to that than they were last year when they really leaned hard on Izzy. So um, there's, like a lot of teams in this sort of, you know, between 25 and 60 mix in the ACC in our power rankings, a lot of winnable games, a lot of losable games. Pitt, obviously, we give a slight edge more often than not, but um, there are quite a few toss-ups as well. They're, they are an underdog in two games, Florida State and Notre Dame. Those are back-to-back. Um, but they are not greater than uh, really a touchdown favorite in – uh, any, uh, there, there are two games, excuse me, where they are greater than a touchdown favorite against Wofford in week one and against Boston College at home toward the very end of the season. So um, I think, uh, you know, I, I trust Pitt more often than not. They're probably going to lose a game that you wouldn't expect. Um, maybe it's West Virginia. Maybe it's Cincinnati. I don't know. Uh, that Boston College game <laughs> could could be one. Um, but I think they're also going to be a really, really tough team to beat. I expect the defense to continue to play pretty well. I expect the offense um, to be uh, fairly uh, balanced as far as, you know, dangerous both through the air and on the ground. Um, so I think that, you know, don't necessarily expect them to to win all the games we have in favored and get to double digit wins. Uh, I think that that's possible if enough things you know fall their way. Um, but I do think that over seven, you know, I feel decent about that. Javier, do you feel pretty good about this over seven for Pitt and uh, you know with their inexperience, or do you think that uh, maybe you know the lack of togetherness here in a new squad and not a lot of returning production is going to sink their season this year. I think that kind of comes down to, to two things for me, whether uh, Jakovic actually has, you know, the kind of time that he needs to, to be the quarterback that we saw two years ago, other piece, if he can stay healthy, uh, but their offensive line is going to be rather experienced, especially on the right side. Um, and I really, if he can stay healthy, he's going to give them a shot. See, I, I, it's been so long since he's had, like, a fully healthy year where he was allowed to kind of work through his, you know, work through his kinks and, you know, also be upright. You know, it's been three seasons or three years since his 2020 year, which kind of felt like a breakout, like kind of, the you know, poised him for a breakout year. And ever since he's been hurt, and I think realistically you're looking at a guy who – Obviously, he's not the exact same quarterback he was then uh, health-wise, but still has a lot of that talent left in him. And I think realistically, if he can put that all together, he's going to give him a shot. Um, I think it'll be similarly to how um, Slovis, in some respects, was, um, where I think he's going to be good enough, but not good enough to compete with the big dogs. 
Um, and it's going to come back to kind of how Pitt's always played, right? Defense first, defense first, defense first. Um, and if their defense can keep them in games, I think Phil, you know, I, I think uh, Jakovic is good enough to win them maybe one or two that they're not supposed to. Um, but realistically, I don't see them competing at the highest level in the ACC. Their schedule alludes, you know, um, allows them to kind of figure themselves out uh, with Walford, Cincinnati, and West Virginia kind of in your first three games. So you get competition, but you're not necessarily playing the big dogs. Obviously, then you get UNC, which I think is going to be rather – it's just a bad matchup for them. You know, UNC being such a high-flying offense, or at least uh, suspected to be one, does not play well with Pitt, even though they did play pretty well last year against Tennessee, which was one of the better offenses in the country. It was early, um, and I think that realistically an offense like a North Carolina is going to give them a lot of trouble, which does not bode well when you see North Carolina, uh, Louisville, uh, Florida State, and even a team like we just talked about with Wake Forest, which offense kind of is king on all, you know, for, for those teams um, in particular. So I'm with Nick on this one. I think seven wins would be comfortable for them, um, which is right on their DK win total. I don't see them pushing to nine and three. Um, and, and making the, and putting themselves in the conversation. They've lost a lot of talent um, from last year's team, but I don't know, man. The, he, I, even though he's only ranked 24th in head coach rating, he's got to be one of the, my favorite coaches in college football. Um, he seems to just always get the absolute most out of every single player he brings in. So it would not surprise me if for some reason Duke was sitting, uh, not Duke, but Pitt was sitting there at, you know, eight and two or, you know, and you and Pitt had a couple of upsets where they were able to win some ugly ones, which is exactly the kind of game he wants to play seemingly every Saturday, whether he has a good team or not. Um, you know, and, you know, we're looking at Pitt as a team, kind of like we said about Duke earlier, where they're like, oh, they've got a shot to make the ACC title game if everything goes right. Um, so I say seven, but once again, with with that head coach, like I said, he gets the most out of everybody. It would not surprise me if they went over the seven wins over that I even have for them. All right, let's go to UNC, North Carolina, 9-5 and five last season. DK has got their win total at 8. We are officially under the 8. And, Nick, for North Carolina, they have one of the best QBs in the country, of course, but even more questions at wide receiver today than they did earlier this week. Do the Tar Heels have enough weapons to make it back to the ACC title game this year? I, I think it's possible. Um, you know, the returning production numbers – come out really, really well, even with the loss of Josh Downs um, and who, who was the other guy? Green. Uh, my, my, my mind just went blank, but Elijah Green. Uh, there you go. Uh, no, Elijah Green's the running back. Um, regardless, I'll find it. Um, you know, with Devontae Walker, who you alluded to on the uh, bigger questions today than last week, uh, that would be a big loss. He was expected to come in and be the primary uh, benefactor, probably, or, or, you know, benefit the most from Josh Downs leaving and Antoine Green, the other guy. Uh, those top two wideouts, you know, giving plenty of uh, vacated targets um, where Dantes Walker, Devontae Walker, excuse me, transferred from Kent State, expected to come in, hit the ground running was super productive uh, last year, 11 touchdowns, 921 yards, 58 receptions, uh, looked like the number one wide receiver and, and you know, probably uh, would be if he were eligible. As of right now, he is not. Um, sounds like maybe he's, you know, 
got a got a case. Uh, certainly, uh, the, the court of public opinion is very much on Devontae Walker's side, uh, but the NCAA seemingly is really, really cracking down on the two-time transfer rule and uh, not offering waivers uh, like they, you know, would in the past. So it uh, seems like a pretty unfair situation, but, you know, I haven't removed Walker from our team profiles yet. If I did, North Carolina would, you know, be, be a few percentage points lower in team strength ratings, might fall a spot or two in the power rankings. Um, but there's, there is talent uh, still, even if Devontae Walker misses some time or, even the entire season without becoming fully eligible. Uh, JJ Jones was a starter at receiver last year. Kobe Pesor uh, performed well at the end of last season. Looked like he has the potential to, to step in and, uh, you know, play that, that Josh uh, Downs role a little bit. No, the offense is going to be different. Chip Lindsay's the play caller now. So long goes at Wisconsin, but um, I would expect even if it's a little bit, you know, different, uh, philosophically that Chip Lindsay is going to look at the talent he's got on hand and, and hopefully play to those strengths. And one of those is the tight end position. Mario Morales is the uh, returning starter. Bryson Nesbitt, I think, is the most talented tight end uh, that North Carolina's got. I think that's clear. I think he's one of the most talented tight ends in the country and potentially could play wide receiver if, if need be. Uh, 6'5", 235, and, and just extremely athletic. Had a great end of the season as well. Is actually the top returning receiver. Sounds like, though, apparently right now he's kind of third in the uh, tight end pecking order on the team because John uh, Copenhaver uh, has been getting more reps uh, behind Kendry, or excuse me, Kamari Morales. Kendry Morales, different name, blast from the past. Uh, different sport, even. But um, broke his leg in on a home plate. I remember Kendry's Morales. <laughs> uh, oof, but. Uh, the the offense to answer the question can they get back to the ACC championship game even with losing you know uh, Josh Downs one of my favorite wide receivers I think there's enough left over that this team is very much capable of being a top 25 offense again are they going to be third in passing team performance again uh, that's that's potentially going to be tough but Drake May is good enough um, that it's it's certainly possible. How much of an improvement are we going to see on defense? North Carolina ranked 120th in defensive team performance overall, 119th against the pass, 95th against the run. Uh, defensive coordinator Gene Chizik is back. There are some talented and productive players like Miles Murphy and Cedric Gray who return. Um, but overall, I mean, man, this unit really, really struggled. I mean, it was – USC and the old Oklahoma days and, and, you know, those defenses that drive uh, Xavier mad uh, all over again, you know, the offense as good as it could be. Can't trust the defense to stop anyone. So I, I am not the most optimistic. Um, I think that I'm, maybe starting to learn my lesson a little bit that when a defense just tells you it's bad, if there's no real evidence to suggest that they're going to be coach better or significantly upgraded the level level of talent available um, that, you know, maybe they are what they are defensively, you know, North Carolina ranks 15th in roster strength, but 
as bad as they were last year and with the same coaching staff in place, I, I don't know. I'm not sure they're going to be able to improve enough to uh, consistently, you know, week in and week out win enough to make it back to the ACC championship game. I think they're going to be susceptible um, in, you know, I mean, they lost games they weren't supposed to last year, right? They lost uh, to Georgia Tech, finished on a four-game losing streak. Um, but, uh, man, without, without uh, really any major signs that we're going to see improvement defensively, it's hard for me to get on board. So I, I kind of like that we're on the under for North Carolina. Xavier, it's, it's the defense that is worrying people, even you know maybe without some playmakers there still have enough on offense to get it done. Like Nick said, the defense is the worrisome part here. What do you think about North Carolina? Can they get it done and make the ACC title game? It's going to be hell and high water for that defense to prove it to me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I just like, I just, I will, I refuse to trust that defense yet. Right. I'm, I'm not saying I'm on the the same like side where it's like, you know, kind of with Oklahoma where it's like, Oh, they'll never have a defense, but they're kind of trending in that direction. Um, they've got some talent though. Don't get me wrong. They've got some studs. Um, so I, I think once again, that defense is going to have to show me that they can compete at a high level and especially the secondary. See, one of the things about their secondary over the last couple of years has been, it's had the names, it's had the talent, but they just haven't played up whatsoever. Whether that be Storm Duck, um, uh, Tony Grimes. They've had names out there for sure, but they just haven't been able to play up to their ability. And it's really hampered and hindered the entire roster as far as the defense is concerned when your secondary literally is giving up everything. Um, and I just expect that to be something that, you know, Mac wants to fix and has at least spent most of his transfers on fixing, right? They brought in an entirely new secondary outside of two guys, right? Uh, in transfers, they brought in a new linebacker. Um, from the transfer portal. And really, they didn't touch the defensive line, but the defensive line, in my opinion, has been good enough uh, the majority of the time to, 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 to do what they're supposed to do. But the back end has been horrendous. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, it's Drake May. This, this kid could very well make or be the second quarterback taken. Hell, he might be the first quarterback taken, depending on, you know, who's picking at that play, at that spot, right? Um, but they have, the, they have the offense. They've got the offensive line. They've got the receivers. Um, now I will say with the receivers, there's going to be some, some gelling that's going to have to take place here with them bringing in two transfers, but I expect the guy as talented as Drake made to, to hit those guys fairly early. If he hasn't already and, and be perfectly fine. Uh, their running game has been, it's been good enough. Um, you know, if it, and you know, obviously Drake may will be a part of that in some respects, even though I expect him to be a little bit more pocket heavy this year, uh, maybe whether that's to protect himself going into next year's draft. Or they just, you know, have a better offensive line to where he could actually sit in the pocket um, and kind of just dice people up. It's still going to come down to this defense. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Like, in the grand scheme, this team, because of Drake May, because of the offense, will invariably win seven games. For sure. That's not what I'm looking for for them. I'm looking for a team that can compete for the ACC title. I'm looking to see Drake May on the biggest stages. And for that to all happen, they're going to have to handle business and they're going to have to do it early. I mean, look, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a defense that I'm not comfortable saying right now is going to hold App State under 35. I'm not. I'm just not. Okay. Like, we, we saw last year's game. You know, we know how good App State can be offensively. And I'm not sure that they're going to hold, 
you know, at state under 35. I'm not sure that they're even going to hold South Carolina under 30. They got a lot to prove to me. And if they can, then, yeah, this is going to be an ACC title team, possibly even a playoff team if that defense comes around. Let's just be perfectly honest with ourselves. That's how much talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense just has to be somewhere in the middle, just not be complete trash uh, for them to make a run at this thing because their schedule, really, after the first four games, you, you, you circle Miami, you circle Clemson at the end of the year, and obviously you circle the rival game on Tobacco Road. Other than that, they've got an opportunity here to run the table and find themselves in an ACC championship game with at least with maybe one, two losses max. That's what should happen if this defense comes around. If not, they'll be 8-4, and four and we'll talk about Drake May for the bowl game. All right, let's go to Miami. Uh, ranked number 27.5 is their DK win total. Uh, eight and four is what we have that, or, uh, yeah. So we're over that, uh, seven and a half, uh, because we do have them at eight and four. Miami is consistently high in our power rankings because they recruit so well and they have underachieved in recent years. I feel like I'm, I know what it's like to be a Miami fan because I'm a Texas fan. Right. Uh, so can we trust our projections and the hurricanes to bounce back, Nick? Is this the year that we start to see some life out of Miami? I, I mean, it, it's kind of uh, what I said about North Carolina, where at a certain point, I guess I have to uh, trust that a certain team tells you what it is. And, and our projections just might have a little bit of a, a blind spot toward uh, some of the talent numbers, you know, maybe maybe the talent that Miami has put together, which does include right now our number one ranked team as far as defensive roster strength. Um, you know, perhaps they're just overrated when it comes to the, the talent numbers. Um, nevertheless, you know, the, these numbers have worked pretty well for us in the past when a team uh, looks as as good as Miami looks in certain spots, uh, you know, it, it's, it's rare for them to uh, fail as miserably as they did last year. So maybe you can write off a little bit of that to uh, new head coach, you know, coaching staff, change the culture, all that, all that good stuff. Um, perhaps we get a little bounce back as a result there. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke was, uh, you know, banged up a bit only played about 60% of snaps last season. That certainly uh, impacted um, not having Zion Nelson because of injury uh, was a, was an issue. Um, they continue to, to have some injury issues at the running back position, uh, which is, has limited, you know, not uh, even though Kobe Young stepped up to, to, you know, really looks like a legitimately uh, very good wide receiver. They haven't really had that just absolute go-to guy, uh, to, to take over a game there. And, you know, defensively, for as much talent as they've got, uh, which includes our number one defensive line and our number one secondary in, term of, uh, in terms of our position strength numbers, um, you know, they just they haven't played like it. They were a mediocre defense last year, 54th overall in team performance, 96th against the pass. Um, but I do trust the defense a little bit more uh, part of that, you know, Mario Cristobal being a, uh, an offensive line coach, somewhat, uh, some, you know, very similar in some ways to philosophy for what you might expect from a defensive-minded head coach, uh, but made a quick move at, 
you know, offensive coordinator. Uh, the Josh Gaddis hire did not work out. Brings in Shannon Dawson from Houston, has more of an air raid background. That probably fits Tyler Van Dyke a little bit better. We'll see if the wide receiver group can take another step forward. Hopefully the offensive line continues to improve because that was a small step in the right direction last year. Um, but then, you know, we'll see. Is this defense truly elite uh, the way they look like they could be on paper? You know, it, it, it's possible. Uh, the first four games in non-conference play, probably not going to get tested too much. Uh, Texas A&M, new look offense, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, but uh, Miami does have an opportunity to start strong. They can take care of business against Texas A&M in that home game. Tough, tough matchup in week two, of course. Um, but this could be a 5-0 and team going into the road trip at North Carolina, following up with the uh, game uh, at home against Clemson. So we will find out, I think, soon enough about the defense, and certainly by midseason. I, I don't trust this team, but for the most part, I trust our numbers. So I do expect Miami to be better, and uh, it's just tough for me to get a read on exactly how much better. Speaking of trust here, Xavier, where is yours for Miami? Do you think that this is a team that finally makes the next step, or are you like same old Miami from what we've uh, been seeing recently? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you would expect Mario Cristobal to figure this out at some point, right? We, we highly touted coach at Oregon, obviously a Miami guy. But that first year was as bad as it could have been, in my opinion. Um, there's not much worse it could have gotten. Losing Middle Tennessee State was an all-time low. Um for me, it's got to come down to whether or not Tyler Van Dyke can find the form that he had two years ago. If that offense can find some of the explosiveness that it needs to, hell, like I said, like I said during the SEC episode with, with Texas A&M, they've got the talent. But like Nick alluded to, they've not shown any of it. Zero. Zilch. And I think if they're going to actually get to where their talent suggests that they should be, it starts now. Um, you know, you, you really start to concern yourself if we're three years in with Miami and they haven't made a bowl game yet um, with the talent that they have on display, the talent that they recruit at with and, and, and that kind of thing. If they're not bona fide eight win team this year, you start really getting concerned about what they could look like, especially when you look around the ACC and you go, they're more talented than everybody, including Clemson in some respects, in, in some positions and groups. Um, and they don't, you know, and once again, their schedule alludes to the fact that they should, you know, they should run the table in their non-conference. Uh, they should beat the brakes off of Texas A&M. I'm going to put it to you this way. I, I'll text it once again. That'll be the game, the, the, the talent bowl, whether or not it shows up or not. <clears throat> but outside of that game, and then they've got North Carolina and Clemson back-to-back, outside of that, and obviously the, the, the uh, rivalry game against Florida State, they should be fine with the talent that they have. Travis Van Dyke has got to figure it out. Last, or, Excuse me, Tyler Van Dyke has got to figure it out. Last year he was bad, and especially in, in Scott. You I mean, know. he was getting touted as a you know. Draft yeah, that's pick. what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, as draft guys, we know the hype for him was legit after year one, and he laid an absolute egg to the point where we were where I had Miami fans calling for Jake Garcia on Twitter, like it was going out of style. Um, so they got to figure out whether or not their talent's actually going to play up. If not, it's time to really look in the mirror as far as how they're recruiting, what they're recruiting. Um, and maybe it's time, you know, that maybe this time next year they really go heavy on the transfer portal to just get together a team 
that can possibly put it all together in one year. Uh, but I expect Miami to go over the seven and a half DK win total. Eight wins has got to be what they get this year. There's no excuses otherwise. All right, let's go over to Florida State, who we have ranked at number 14. Uh, 10 and 3 is how they finished last year. DK's put their win total at 10. High total, so usually we're under those, and we are under for Florida State here. And they came in a little lower in our power rankings than expected early in the offseason. Uh, Nick thought the Seminoles could be a national title contender. Nick, has that changed now that they're 14th in team strength after everything is said and done here? I, I, I'm I not sure that it's changed because I do think that there's a path for Florida State to make the college football playoff. And if you make the college football playoff, I mean, like we saw, you know, TCU is one game away from winning a national championship last year. Um, the Florida state, I think is, is uh, uh, kind of able, kind of in a, a period in time where this rebuild and sort of the path that uh, Mike Norvell and his coaching staff and, and the way that they have attacked this roster, it's all coming together potentially at a perfect moment. Um, Jordan Travis has really come a long way at quarterback. He's now one of the most dynamic, uh, productive quarterbacks in the country. Uh, Trey Benson really emerged as a uh, you know, workhorse type running back, but there's also depth at the position. Lawrence Tefoli, who you know, just earlier today was reading about the incredible practice uh, that he had. Just practice, of course, but we've seen it in games as well and, and uh, can make some big plays happen. Uh, and they've got depth behind that uh, duo and, you know, CJ Campbell, Kaziah Holmes, Rodney Hill, the true freshman, Samuel Singleton wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we see some significant carries from, from plenty of those guys at wide receiver, Johnny Wilson's one of my personal favorites uh, is just huge. A matchup nightmare for anyone is, you know, understandably very inconsistent, uh, but can take over a game, and we have seen that happen. They add in Keon Coleman, a little more consistent, you know, still a big target, big play type guy uh, to, to compliment Wilson. That's one of the best wide receiver duos in the ACC, maybe in the country. Uh, Winston Wright Jr. missed all of last season due to injury. He's back. Uh, Kentron Poitier and Duspan both, I think, have, um, you know, some real talent. We just haven't quite seen it uh, fully uh, on display yet uh, at a big, you know, at a, at a high level. So the the position groups on offense that you're building around, and you can even include tight end where Jaheim Bell and Kyle Warlock is incoming transfers. Uh, both are, are just really interesting pieces that, that could be offensive weapons. Uh, Bell, his background playing running back at South Carolina last year, Morlock, a division two late bloomer. Um, there's just, there's a lot to like. There's a lot of individual players who are really, really good on the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line, which was the big issue for so long, has finally developed into a very solid unit. They ranked 31st last year in O-line performance. Robert Scott is an all-conference tackle. Uh, four starters return. They add two potential starters to the transfer portal and Casey Roddick and Jeremiah Byers. So they've got depth there. Bless Harris actually missed all but the very beginning of the season last year due to injury. And, and he was a starter in week one. So you could think of it like, uh, you know, Florida State's got seven returning starters on the offensive line. The offense, basically zero questions anywhere. Defensively, maybe the best player on the team is Jared Verse, uh, you know, going to be one of the top 
edge rushing prospects in the NFL draft. Uh, there's a lot to like about the talent around him as well. Guys like Fabian Lovett. Uh, they added Brendan, uh, Braden Fiske from the transfer portal. Very productive player at the MAC uh, level. Sounds like he's off to a strong start this fall. A lot of players returning in the back seven. Uh, you know, Florida State ranks in the top 10 in defensive returning production. They're number four overall. And then they add guys like Fintrell Cypress II, who was an All-American caliber corner at Virginia. So uh, there, there really are no weak spots on this roster. Uh, the schedule sets up decently well. You've got the tough, you know, neutral side matchup against LSU, but winnable games in the non-conference against Southern Miss. Florida at the end of the season. Uh, they do get Clemson at Clemson. They'll be an underdog there, but that's still a winnable game and they'll have an opportunity potentially for revenge at the end of the year. If they finish 11 and one with, you know, one of those uh, wins uh, against Clemson, then yeah, I think that there's a path for Florida state to, to make it to uh, the college football playoff. And then, you know, if things, uh, click and we get, uh, you know, a, a great performance from Jordan Travis or Johnny Wilson taking over the game or Jared Verse being unblockable, um, then, yeah, this Florida State team, I think, could beat any other team in the country any given game. Uh, it's just whether or not they're quite ready, quite deep enough, um, quite consistent enough, because, you know, last year there was a four-game stretch where Florida State might have been the best team in the country, that Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, Louisiana stretch where they had four straight 100 postgame win expectancy uh, performances. You know, if, if you avoid the loss to Wake Forest, the loss, you know, the, the three-game losing streak, Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson, uh, avoid, you know, letting one game turn, one loss turn into two um, because I, I do think it's going to be really, really difficult for Florida State to run the table. But – 11 and win is 11 and one is possible. And I do think, uh, you know, a playoff run is, is possible with this team. Uh, but as we've talked about before, our projections don't necessarily expect most uh, of these high end teams to, to get to that double digit win total. Um, so there are plenty of things that could go wrong, but yeah, I, I do believe in the, the ultimate ceiling of this Florida state team, I think still is uh, a playoff berth. And Xavier, your thoughts? Do you think FSU can get to the playoff or you think we're premature here or is this what the expectation has to be, even if they may come up short? That comes down to, I hate to be this way, but that comes down to game one. They beat LSU, the sky's the limit. I, right. I think realistically that is my barometer matchup. The sky's absolutely the limit. If not, and if it's not even competitive, which would be the worst feeling if you're an FSU fan, then, they got to they hit one hell of a drawing board. But they've got the talent. They've got the quarterback play. I think Jordan Travis has figured out some of his problems um, and some of his maybe uh, erratic play at times. Um, and they just can't, more importantly, at, at the end of the day, they just can't drop a game to an absolutely, you know, nothing situation, right? They, they, they get LSU and Clemson in the first four games. Navigate that how you will. If they're able to get, if they're able to stay undefeated after that, they got a, they got a real good shot. Um, I still think they'll be two and two, which will keep them out of the playoff race. But I think they'll be very much like Oregon last year, where they might be the best player team in, in in the country in the second half of the year, or one of the best teams in the country in the second half of the year. They just didn't start well enough, 
and they lost the steam that they needed to to possibly be in the playoffs. But not going to be a bad season if they do finish 10-2 and two and then, you know, a New Year's Six Bowl game for sure. All right, let's go to the last team here in the ACC, number five, Clemson. Uh, DK's got their win total at 10. We are under that 10 as well. Uh, we got them at nine and three. Not sexy Clemson, but Clemson is the favorite to win the ACC in our projections and all projections, I think, most of the time. Are they still a threat to make the playoff here, uh, Nick? And do you think that they will? I think they're definitely the team to beat. Um, you know, Clemson is favored in every regular season game that we've got. Everything I just said about Florida State applies to them as well. Um, you know, drawing Florida State at home in September, uh, there's opportunity. That's a winnable game for them. Any any game at Clemson is a winnable game, certainly for Clemson, and probably, you know, will be favored to win that game. Um, and from there, it's just avoiding, you know, a, a misstep, a, a big mistake. Uh, last year, they did not show up basically uh at the notre dame game um there still was an opportunity to play their way into the playoff even with that blowout loss but clemson then you know let south carolina um hang around and, and find a way to win so uh, last year we saw the vulnerability of clemson i mean we've seen it for for a few years now this is not necessarily a top two or three team in college football anymore. And I think in, I think we might actually be kind of on the high side with them being fifth in our power rankings. Um, but, you know, so, so the margin of error maybe is, is uh, a little tighter than it once was, but I do think that Clemson, again, that high end ceiling um, is competing for a national championship. Uh, the quarterback position has been a little bit of a question mark the last couple of years. As we know, the offensive uh, play calling has been a, a question the last couple of years. They have addressed both of those things. Kate Klubnick ended up, uh, you know, elbowing his way through and, and taking over as the starting quarterback, got some experience towards the end of last year, played over 20% of snaps, got a start. So, you know, now this is, his team sounds like he's really taken on a leadership role as we would expect. He's a high end talent, five-star type guy, dynamic player. Seems like he's going to be a really good fit for uh, Garrett Riley's offense. And that's the second piece of it. Garrett Riley, you know, has had a, uh, been a really, really fast riser in the coaching ranks, but he's had success everywhere that he's been, you know, is, is he was at uh, East Carolina and Appalachian state and, and uh, SMU and everywhere he was, the you know offenses uh, were very difficult to stop. Last year, TCU, um, <laughs> you know, out of nowhere, ends up in the national championship game. Big part of that was the offense and and uh, sort of tailoring the system to the talent that he inherited. And you know, I was I was talking the other day on C two a days that uh, you know there are some quotes coming out of Clemson camps. They're playing much faster than years past. But if you actually look at, you know, the pace numbers that we've got, uh, TCU played at a slower pace than Clemson did last year by a pretty, pretty big margin. Um, nevertheless, prior to uh, his time at TCU, Garrett Riley's offenses at SMU were, you know, top 20 in time between plays. So very, very fast on offense. Seems to me 
trying to read between the lines a little bit, Garrett Riley shows up and says, okay, you know, this, this roster can do that. It's more tailored to uh, going fast. So with a guy like Cabe Klubnick, with a running back like Will Shipley, some talented receiver, Antonio Williams, you know, Adam Randall seems like he's back and fully healthy, uh, a veteran offensive line, that this is a, a unit that is uh, experienced enough. They're 13th in offensive returning production even with replacing a starting quarterback, which some would say they've upgraded at that position. You know, I think we're going to see a pretty good bounce back to Clemson, you know, 2020 and, and before. Maybe top one, two, three uh, offensive team performance numbers, that, that'll be difficult to do, obviously. But top 10 is possible, certainly top 25. Uh, and they haven't been, you know, better than 40th either of the last two years. So, think they're going to take a significant step forward on offense. I think that's very reasonable to expect. And then, you know, can they be a top 10 defense again? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they've, they've got uh, a deep defensive line, even with losing a couple of players. They bring back almost everybody in the back seven. Jeremiah Trotter, Barrett Carter, one of the best linebacker duos in the country. Uh, they are experienced in the secondary uh, a lot of guys got playing time last year because they were dealing with injuries back there, but they were top 10 against the run, top 25 against the pass. Uh, you know, uh, right now there's really no evidence. I was talking about North Carolina. There's no evidence to suggest they're going to be that much better. I don't really see any evidence to suggest that Clemson is going to be any worse on defense than they were. So, um, yeah, they could slip up. They could lose that game to Florida State. You know, Notre Dame got the better of them last year. Both of those games are uh, in Clemson are in Death Valley. They also get North Carolina at home. So, you know, a lot of the, the big matchups uh, through the, the early and middle part of the season play out pretty well. Tricky road game potentially against Miami, not that Miami has a, a great home field advantage, but, um, you know, going on the road against a talented team. And then the very next week at North, uh, North Carolina State at Raleigh, back-to-back road games, that's, that's a little tricky. At South Carolina, though it is a revenge game, uh, is going to be a tough environment, certainly. They do play North Carolina. You know, the, the, the back half of the schedule is going to be really, really tough. But, you know, we do have Clemson favored in every game, have them favored by at least five points in every game, uh, give them a talent edge in all but the game against Miami. And Clemson would have a talent edge if that was uh, at home or at a, a neutral site because we do adjust for home field advantage of those. And then our prism model, our stats only model, has Clemson favored, um, you know, by at least two in every game and, and as much as six points in, in all but the Florida State game. So uh, this this Clemson team, unless, you know, something unexpected happens, the offense doesn't bounce back, uh, the defense for, for some unexpected reason uh, takes a big step back. Yeah, I think that this is still the team to beat in, in the ACC if they get through certainly undefeated or with one loss, they're, they're potentially going to be in the playoff as well. And once you get in, you know, there's certainly the opportunity uh, to win it all. Yeah. I mean, they have in the past, so, you know, uh, nothing holding them back there. Xavier, your thoughts on Clemson this year. Do you think that they're a real national title contender? It all comes down to how good Klubnik's going to be in his first full year of action. I know the hype is there. I know we really saw, we got glimpses in last year, but it's one thing to be, you know, similarly to what I said uh, about Drew Aller at Penn State. It's one thing to kind of be the guy behind the guy that everybody's tired of be- seeing, right? 
for 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 Aller, it was behind uh, Sean Clifford. For for Klubnik, it was behind DJ Uyunglele. It's one thing to have all that hype, like oh yeah, can't wait for Klubnik to have a full year, and a completely different when you're sitting there and getting mauled by <laughs> defensive yeah. line, and everybody's wondering what the hell is going on. Why aren't we just steamrolling everybody? Uh, now the schedule suggests that they should be, you know, should have an opportunity to really steam, to really uh, be comfortable in their route to a college football playoff berth outside of the Florida State game. And really, I'm really circling that last two games of the year: North Carolina and South Carolina back to back. South Carolina embarrassed them last year in in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, right? They went into Clemson, beat them, beat a ranked team, really killed any hopes of them being in the playoff last year or even being in a, in a New York Six Bowl. And then obviously before that, you're going to be playing the high-octane offense that is North Carolina, who maybe for one night and one night only figures out how to play defense. So that's, that's, a, that's a little catchy or, or a possible trip up there for, for Clemson. Other than that, they should be fine. Um, their secondary has to come around. Uh, some of the names that they have in that secondary didn't play up to their names. Nate Wiggins, I'm looking at you um, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, against Wake Forest, you were horrendous, my guy. Um, but you know, Jeremiah Trotter might be, it's probably a first round draft pick. Uh, Tyler Davis is probably right around a, fr- a first round draft pick. If not, um, a high second rounder, they've got the guys, they've got the names as always, but the biggest thing with them is, can the, is the quarterback play going to be good enough to, uh, to, to give Will Shipley the, the kind of holes that he's going to need to have where he's been running against packed boxes the last couple of years. Now he's going to be running against, you know, lighter boxes because Kate Kubnick is out here dicing up offenses or dicing up defenses with the passing game that he's got on the outside. That's going to be the biggest question. Um, Cause along with that is the, the receiving core. They've got, once again, got the names, but I'm sorry, your most productive player in your, in your wide receiving core over the last couple of years has been Spectre and not great play from everybody else. And you've had guys transfer in and out. We just talked about EJ Williams, a podcast ago and, now it's Bo Collins and Antonio Williams, and he's like, okay, cool. Another, these are the last two remaining set of guys that was a part of that crazy Clemson spring game receiving core. Uh, it was like him and um, a couple of other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head that just, you know, had one-handed grabs and were mossing their DBs and the whole night. Okay, cool. It's time to put up or shut up because you guys were both five stars, and that was over, that was over three years ago for, for some of you guys, Bo Collins in particular. Let's see what you guys can do. Bo Collins was considered the next Justin Ross. Has he been that so far? No. So that receiving core has a lot of answers, uh, a lot of questions that they have to answer for me. And obviously they have a quarterback that people think is that guy in K. Klubnik. All right, cool. If those two things click, then Clemson will be right there in the college football playoff uh, back where they feel like they, you know, they should be. If not, we're looking at another, you know, 10 and two season, you know, uh, possibly, you know, possibly 11 and one or another, you know, another quote unquote down year for Clemson as they rattle off double digit wins for this, I think the third or fourth year in a row. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like what Clemson could do, but there's still question marks in some key positions for me, especially on the offensive side of the ball that I think um, need to be answered before I'm like, yeah, they're going to just run the table this year. All right, that is going to wrap it up for the 2023 ACC preview from CFB Winning Edge. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter at Campus, the number two Canton on Twitter for Campus to Canton at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Tristier, I-C-H-E for Xavier, and at Bogman Sports for myself. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. (laughs) 